Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. Peter, how are you? Dude, Jeff, doing great. Uh, excited to chat with you and uh, love all your content, so it's fun to be here. I appreciate it. Well, listen, man, I, there's a lot to talk about. I actually have not had a daily fantasy crusher expert, anyone really in the space. So, uh, you know, kind of breaking the cherry here. This is more of a poker you know, podcast, although we do, we do venture out and I've gotten into fantasy a little more over the years. I've always loved it. And uh, it's a pleasure to have you going to have a lot of questions and hopefully we'll, we'll get some questions uh, here as well. If you could maybe just give a little bit of background on yourself, but start with poker. You used to play poker. You went to Colorado, hence the CSU Ram 88. Tell me a little bit about your poker ability, how much you played and, and give me that. And then we'll dive into fantasy. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually how I got into fantasy is just being involved in poker and, and was really attracted to DFS because of my poker background. But yeah, the poker boom happened when I was in high school. Uh, I played a lot in high school, actually. Um, you know, there's games like comic book stores. All my friends were playing. Uh, I graduated high school in 2006. So obviously, like the moneymaker boom was kind of in the midst and, you know, love rounders, all the classic stuff for, for people my age. Um, and yeah, I started playing online actually, you know, at an early age too. And, uh, in college, it really became, um, you know, a good moneymaker, you know, by the time I was a senior, I wasn't like a huge crusher, but, uh, you know, uh, my senior year, I made well into the six figures, mostly just playing MTTs and sit and goes, um, you know, I used like poker tracker and really, uh, I thought my biggest edge was like understanding shoving ranges and just kind of, um, shorter stack poker in some of those spots. So. I played a bunch of tables, really grinded those. And, uh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out as a senior in college. All my friends were going to get, you know, traditional jobs out of school. And here I am being entrepreneurial. And, uh, yeah, I thought I had it all figured out given kind of how my senior year went. So uh, it was a, a good living. Um, but obviously, Black Friday happened. And uh, actually, a, a kind of a scary story, which ended up being a huge blessing in disguise. Uh, once Black Friday happened, I started playing like live games kind of around town. And uh, obviously a lot of the poker community was desperate given that people had money tied up on these online sites and trying to get that money out was a big challenge. You know, depending where you had your money, you know, it took a long time. So uh, I started playing these live games and we actually got stood up. Um, like the whole scary guns, masks, all this stuff. And uh, yeah, I had a decent bit of my like cash bankroll taken, which was scary and i just you know kind of realized at that point in time that maybe i should look into something else so that was actually the, the time that dfs was not exploding but at least growing a little bit FanDuel had come out and uh you know i played a ton of fantasy sports with my friends uh, i was just so obsessive i was the guy who's making all the trades and like just trying to do as many leagues as i could and uh you know i found FanDuel and uh kind of the online poker and like bankroll management and just being comfortable putting money online, uh, that background plus loving sports, and loving fantasy is the, the perfect kind of culmination of everything. So uh, it wasn't big enough at the time. I remember like the first week I started playing, the biggest tournament was $25 and paid a thousand the first. And I won that like early on uh, my first week playing. And then, you know, kind of chops, you know, choppy waters made a little bit of money, but nothing crazy. Um, so I ended up taking a full-time job as a stockbroker. Uh, at Charles Schwab. And uh, yeah, when I was there, I, I love finance. Uh, you know, I got a finance degree, really studied poker, but um, I started kind of bringing my, or I started bringing my iPad in and I started to make more money playing DFS. 
And uh, yeah, ultimately was able to quit my job and then pursue DFS full time. So that's a long story, but uh, poker is a huge part of my foundation. I still love to play poker, love watching content, watch a lot of like the Doug McGrady challenge. Um, I actually bet chance versus uh, uh, Galphon, which I'm, you know, didn't, didn't end up working out, but chance played really great and still trying to keep up on the scene to a degree. But uh, yeah, uh, it was a huge part of my foundation and, and an avid poker player and, and love the content that you're doing. It's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. I think the DFS and, and poker is so similar with the lobbies, the heads ups, the double ups, the format. I remember seeing you know back in the World Poker Tour in Vegas in you know 2012, and and I think Blasio 11 even. I forget, but DFS and uh, poker, DraftKings, you know John Aguiar. And, yeah. and I remember seeing it and talking with them. And I actually one of the kind of worst beats of my my life was I actually had a one percent available to buy. I think on the B round of DraftKings, it was like Ooh. a 250k valuation me and two of my buddies they were much older much more sophisticated had a lot it was a lot of money you know for me it was a it was like 250k i was going to split it three way and i'll never forget like i put it in front of my friends or experts and they looked at it and there was emails like back and forth for a couple months and then the final was a, a you know we're, we're gonna have to pass at this valuation um and that was like uh, January, early January, 2013. I still have the email kind of have it like, you know, I pull it up. It's a motivator at times. And, you know, it was basically Jason Robbins direct saying, you know, sorry, or like, sorry, we'll, we'll hope to move and do some stuff in the future. And, you know, again, it, it's kind of complicated. It was a rocky ride, right? Like it wasn't just, there was some real what ifs and the, the valuation. I think it was at 25 million, maybe at 65 post valuation, something like that. So obviously it's done well, but um, you know, there were some hurdles and some some legal stuff and different different rides, and it's a little little bit uh, unclear exactly how you know it would have shaken out. But I'm sure it was a it would be a profitable bet, obviously, at that time until to where it is now. Do you have an idea what DraftKings is valued currently? It's like four or five billion. It's a lot of billions, right? I mean, it's it's it did the SPAC and everything. Yeah, I'm gonna. This will not be fun for you. Uh, it's it's worth well over twenty billion now. Uh, actually, was a brand ambassador. I knew John. I was actually out in Cambridge uh, in 2013 working for uh, Star Street, which was one of the other DFS operators at the time. Uh, the big thing that Star Street did is had uh, big DFS events at the Playboy Mansion, which was a ton of fun. But uh, yeah, I knew John, and and um, you knew all the DraftKings guys, and ultimately. I decided to pursue playing DFS full time as like a player, not even anything on the business side, which I was attracted to in 2014. And I was a brand ambassador for DraftKings. So I was fortunate to, to have exposure to DraftKings. And it absolutely has been a really, really rocky ride. Um, you know, I was, uh, I helped lobby for DFS here in Colorado when there's all the uncertainty. And uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a scary time uh, for DFS in 2015, 2016, after the meteoric rise that it had in, in 2015. So, uh, yeah, DraftKings current market cap is $20.5 billion, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And, and Robbins, Robbins is a billionaire. So kudos to him. And he's a billionaire at this stock price, I should say. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it is one of those things. And it's just kind of, I, I feel like, daily fantasy sports cards uh nfts like these are sort of things crypto bitcoin these are kind of things as being in the poker world or this kind of you know if you're if you're in the right place right time i feel like we have some pretty unique opportunities right like that we've been able to you kind of see it you feel it right like you're in you see your friends you see in college you see like what people are doing now i have friends that are older i see what their kids are doing they're like now you know i feel like i'm in a where how old are you are you like you're around 30 in mid 30s early 30s 
Yeah, I'm 33. And all those things that you just mentioned, I'm I'm very interested and have been involved in. So yeah, we yeah, a lot of the, the poker, gambling, DFS community, uh, kind of the right place at the right time for a lot of these trends. But yeah, yeah. it is fun and, and you're always gonna have misses. Like yeah. everyone has a story about why they should have more Bitcoin, right? Like everybody. Like my big story was like losing a ton of Bitcoin on that Falcons Patriots Super Bowl, which was the main reason I had Bitcoin initially was to, to bet. So um yeah, there's all these woulda, coulda, shouldas, but uh, I feel like a lot of people kind of in our field have just been very fortunate to, to have exposure to a lot of these things. Yeah, that's uh, that that game was pretty – I was at that football game. That was that was pretty crazy, man. That was 28-3, uh, to 3, I think, at half or at some point maybe uh, near the half. And, yeah, it's a crazy – that's a crazy, crazy thing to be – to have any action or be involved. I actually didn't even bet the game um, or very small, I forget. But, uh, yeah, it was that was just, you know, one of those things you're right. There's so many – what if I think poker daily, these type of things really translate well to real life. It gives you a really good risk understanding and, and to deal with adversity. And actually, one of the articles I saw about you uh, where it was talking about, I think, where you won the million dollar score and you were in a room or live. And, you know, the guy who was writing the article, a friend of yours, uh, um, maybe it was a chop chops or someone was writing and saying like you basically didn't really show much emotion you weren't like celebrating going crazy and is that one of your superpowers are you able to stay very even keeled the highs the lows because you know i'm sure you've missed by half a point or last second plays and you've also gotten lucky too so is that, is that something you feel like you do very well is, is don't get too excited or too upset certainly now i think i've gotten a lot better at it uh i think i always handled the wins well uh, initially um and yeah dfs has crazy variance as we were talking a little bit before we went live like Dude, one thing can swing just crazy amounts of money. And uh, I've been on the right side of that and the wrong side of that uh, a ton of times. But initially, I, I think I handled the, the wins really well. And I think poker was a huge part of that, uh, which enabled me to have good bankroll management. And just um, I think it was a, a really good thing. Uh, the losses, um, you know, I, I, I would get down to myself a little bit um, at times. And the nice thing about DFS relative to poker is like you can't tilt um, like your games are going, so you're not going to just like tilt off, uh, you know, like if you're playing poker and something bad happens to you, you can obviously, that can impact your play. DFS, you're normally not making decisions again until the next day. So, uh, I don't think like I tilted much in DFS, but I certainly, um, like from a, you know, being around friends and family, like I don't act like any different if I'm winning, but if I'm losing, I might be in a worse mood or, you know, maybe not as fun to be around. And I think I've gotten way better that, at that like over the last couple of years. And I think it's really helped me with investments. Um, but yeah, the winning, which I think the winning in DFS is actually a worse, like handling that poorly. Uh, I've seen a ton of people go bust. Uh, they win a bunch then they go try to play the best in the world for a bunch of stakes. And like they let their ego get in the way, um, basically saying, oh, I'm the best in the world. And like, there's just so much variance in DFS that, uh, you know, if you have an ego, that's normally going to get, get you in trouble. Yeah, I agree. And and handle, you know, it's so common in poker too. Some of the best players in the world, they they go broke. They they the bankroll management. There's so many other factors than just being skilled at what you're doing. You know, and and, and other attributes. And obviously, it does kind of shadow a poker. I think uh, daily fantasy a lot of similarities. Uh, talk to me about uh, newborn. You you have a newly you're newly a father. Congratulations. You have a daughter. Is that right? Yeah, Mary Grace, Gracie Jennings. Uh, it's the best feeling in the world. We were talking a little bit about that before. Uh, so happy to be a dad. She's a little over two weeks and uh, total game changer. Uh, everyone says it, all the cliche stuff, but uh, man, she already has me around her finger and I love her so much. And uh, 
yeah, just fortunate to have an amazing wife who's uh, really supportive. And yeah, even in, in the hospital, there's some funny stories about. I, I got it on my note. I got to ask you about it. I just got to go right to it. At your wife's name, Ashley, Ashley Jennings. I saw there's a tweet on February 22nd update. I'm in labor in the hospital capital. So this is serious. And, and she tags you that you just went to NBA Top Shot Club. Uh, what push present to make up for this? So what's going on? You're on Top Shot. You love NFTs, I guess. Like what, what's happening here? She was in late. Yeah. In so I'm obsessed with uh, Top Shot and, and I've gotten really deep into NFTs as a whole. Um, it's kind of similar to DFS. How's the convergence of like poker and fantasy? Uh, I think this is a really interesting like convergence of sports and crypto and, and all the things that, uh, you know, guys like us are interested in. So uh, I've been fortunate to be kind of early on that. And uh, I've built up a collection and we've done a lot of content uh, around uh, Top Shot specifically. And uh, one of which is going to the club. And yeah, Ashley gave me permission. She's like, you should do this. Uh, she was induced. So it was a really right. a long process. So we were just waiting. And so she was totally cool with it. Um, we, were, we knew we were going to play the waiting game. It wasn't like heavy contractions at that point, but uh, she's super funny, uh, super lucky to be with her. She's somehow puts up with me and uh, yeah, we thought it was, it was a good opportunity to have some fun. And yeah, she's really worth following on Twitter. She, uh, she roasts me, uh, which I deserve quite often. Um, very, very, very cool. I, I am, I'm, I'm in the top shot. I would love some advice or opinion on that in particular. I think I kind of got in it sort of a weird time. Like I got in right kind of at the top, like I put in some money, uh, stuff was going well. And then now I'm kind of down a bit on it. I didn't, I didn't go crazy, but is there, is it fair to say that that particular market, like it's sort of in a, in a bear market now, like what's your overall thought on, on top shot NBA top shot right now, like in particular? Yeah. So they're, they face some challenging scale issues on top shot, um, specific around like bots and things. And, you know, it was a crazy stretch of time where a lot of the growth was just fueled by people coming in and 10 xing their accounts. And, uh, yeah, that is not sustainable long-term as, as you know. And, um, so they, they've, they've recently actually like limited signups. They've had the marketplace closed quite a bit recently. Um, so I wouldn't say we're in a bear market, but we're definitely in this like phase where they're having some growth challenges. And uh, that's happened a couple of times already. I mean, I joined Chopshot in early January and we've seen some of these waves, but overall adoption is incredible. Uh, Dapper Labs, the uh, parent company to Topshot, which uh, built the Flow blockchain and has a couple of projects under that. They originally built CryptoKitties. They just raised... Uh, at the over $250 million at a $2 billion valuation. So there's a ton of positive momentum. Uh, NBA players are tweeting about it all the time. They're streaming about it. Uh, but yeah, we, I think we're in like the first ending of NBA Top Shot, but uh, the prices accelerated really quickly. So we're, we were definitely in like the later stages of prices for this like first round of mania. So I don't know like right now how I feel about like investing like more capital um, at current prices, but I, I definitely think we're very early and it'll be interesting to see how that market evolves. And the same can be said for a lot of these NFTs. Um, the most interesting one is uh, these crypto punks. I don't know if you've seen these crypto punks at all. Oh, yeah, no, I'm well aware. I mean, I, I have a few friends that have bid and have some and have done. I think I, I see it's your it's actually your Twitter I believe profile uh picture is one here so which which one is this in particular what does this mean for you is this one yeah that's probably my or not probably that is my favorite punk that i have i have five punks um 
There's only 10,000 created. So the analogy I like is it's the Bitcoin of NFTs. It was the first project. Um, the developers gave away nine of the 10,000 punks. Uh, everyone has the first re same reaction. Like when I first got in a top shot, I was, you know, just kind of checking out other marketplaces. It's like, well, I just spent 100K on a LeBron Cosmic, but at least I'm not the idiot spending 400K on these stupid pixels. Like everyone kind of has that same journey uh, when they're thinking about punks. But the story is just so compelling. And I think uh, my reason for being bullish and, and kind of what we've seen recently with the, the activities that it's the Bitcoin of NFTs. It's the first one. It's the original. It's the rookie card. There's only 10,000 and there's honestly less than 10,000 with uh, punks that have been burned or inactive accounts. And I love that the developers who really kind of paved the way for NFTs, they gave away nine of the 10,000 punks. Um, so yeah, we saw in the last 36 hours, two sales for 4,200 Ethereum, which at the time was over seven and a half million dollars for one punk. Uh, that happened twice in the last 36 hours. Uh, in the last 24 hours, there's been like 17 to 8 million, $18 million of sales and like all the OGs of like sports betting and, uh, some of the poker guys, they're heavily involved. Uh, I've had more and more people reach out to buy these and also have had some of the wealthiest people in the world reach out uh, to acquire these. Gary Vee made a bunch of purchases. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that Chamath made purchases. So if NFTs as a whole do really well, these are really interesting and you can actually see, it seems crazy, but like the cheapest one right now for sale is 22 Ethereum. So a little under 40 grand at the current Ethereum price for yeah. the cheapest one. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. I know Haralbab is is big into this too. He's got a he's got a collection going, and uh, yeah, on here. He's I'm in a couple of crypto chats with with him and some other guys. I've known him for a while. He's interesting. You know, he's just sharp sharp as attack. And he's yeah. Mark yeah. Cuban was our only investor in Fantasy Labs. I have the most utmost respect for Mark. He's just uh, he's such a joy to work with. He's been so helpful, and uh, it's great to see Haralbab uh, working for the Mavericks, and they've done a lot of really smart stuff. I think. Hopefully they'll get things really turned around. Porzingis' display this year has not been as ideal, but uh, yeah, so much respect for, for H. Bob and, and everything that he's done in sports betting and crypto. And he's just a sharp dude. Yeah, no, he's he's great. I mean, love, he'll just come flicking, you know, the million pound Triton. That was the last time I saw him in person. We were, we were having a nice talk there, but you know, he's uh, playing the Triton million, and he he goes for it, man. The guy really got to respect it. He he's definitely sharp and one of the one of the. Uh, you know, one of the guys that, I mean, is he, is he regarded, where would you put him in the, the sports betting sort of a hall of fame or rankings on you know, Billy Walters, some of these other guys, like where does he rank up in, in terms of uh, sports, sports betting, would you say? Oh, he's way up there. I mean, he's definitely in the Mount Rushmore of NBA sports betting uh, was early on some trends. There's a couple trends in particular that uh, have slowly gotten out there that he, uh, that he was early on. And I know he's, probably not the happiest that some of these things have been found out specifically, but uh, absolutely about Rushmore of NBA betting. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. A lot of the really successful sports bettors don't really talk too much about uh, all their success. Um, there's kind of a disincentive to share information. And uh, he's certainly been private about a lot of things, but no doubt uh, he's, he's one of the you know pioneers. And for me, I, I admire him a ton and um, yeah, just everything he does, it seems like he's extremely sharp and, um, yeah, uh, it's you know I had a different path, and I, I not even a different path, but I think one thing as a young person, you know, in my early twenties with DFS, I was really interested in the betting side uh, as well as the business side. So 
I took on a lot of roles like to like grow the community and, and wanted to build businesses. And um, one thing I was cognizant of, but maybe would have done a little bit differently is, you know, I did all this content and you, I could be viewed as a tout for sure. And, um, you know, I think that there's a disdain for that for sure. And I certainly have it with a lot of these sports betting touts, but for whatever reason in fantasy, there's more respect for like the analysts, even though it's a, a similar thing. Like I feel like uh, betting touts and stock touts, are like the worst crypto touts, they're pretty bad, but fantasy touts for whatever reason, don't get lumped in the same way, even though it's really similar. Yeah, I got I got a, a couple legends in in the Twitch chat. We got my man Green Eyed Asian, who is uh, you know he's not using many models, but he's pretty lucky sports guy, better and and in there he's in the mix. And my man Panda eighty five also. Hopefully, I know he was he was fired up. He wanted to call in. He was at he's like he's like you're his idol. He's one of my best friends, and he's we have done a lot of fantasy with him. He's one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. So I hope he. Uh, he joins live because he, That'd be uh, awesome. yeah, he, I'm gonna, hopefully he'll be able to at least, maybe he'll call in for a second. He get a kick out of that uh, if he's around, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's fun. I actually, this just came to my mind. I don't want to single out anyone or I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know me, I'm, I'm down the center of the fairway. I'm not looking for controversy. That's not what I do. I don't put out, you know, clickbaits and whatever. I just want to know like Vegas, Dave, this guy, he capitalized on the biggest sports card at the time, I think ever, or when he sold the trout, right? Then he's then recently. No, I come from the camp. Do you know like Jason Kuntz, Josh Luber? Those yeah, guys? of course. Yeah, tons of respect. Good buddies of mine. You know, I love what they do. I love how Jason's come in from you know done it, worked his way up as he's he's one of the leading guys in the industry. You know, Gary V through is kind of on that and those guys camp and and over there. And then there's like Vegas Dave, who speaking about what you're saying most guys aren't really loud, right? When they're like sports betters or experts. So you know, I'm not asking you to like go call out but like what do you have any thoughts on that because he's kind of been smashing the sports card industry which i thought's kind of messed up because uh you know he he hit such a like the largest ever and now he's saying it's going to go to you know it's going to go away taking the contrarian kind of approach and and saying it's a bubble and all this like do you have any thoughts on him in particular or just generally like these sports pick people because like like your point they would if they're making so much you know i don't know like it's kind of it's a fine line right i guess if you're the best or really good and you do have people believing you, but I've heard a lot of like saying it's a scam or you know, this and that. Do you have any kind of thoughts in general? You don't have to say him, but in that sort of space, people itself. No, uh, yeah, sure. I can stay away from specifics, but like, yeah, I think, you know, um, the betting side, it's almost all sleazy guys who are selling picks. I mean, there's a bunch of Venn diagrams, like selling picks just doesn't work. I mean, there's one site that was actually sharp. And uh, they were putting out bet picks, like 99.9% of the sites putting out just straight betting picks are not sharp. The one that was putting out sharp picks started to move the lines. So then the subscribers couldn't even like really get the bets that they were originally posting. So it's just a weird uh, incentive structure. And unfortunately, people are attracted like, oh, this guy's super sharp. Um, you know, and, and the guy you were referencing, you know, Dave is, you know, super flashy. And his methodology, uh, from what I can tell and from what I've heard, is he just gives out like, super heavy money line favorites. So most of the time people are winning, but then when they do lose, they lose a ton. And like, of course it's negative EV. So um, kudos to him for the, the foresight on the card. And he's, you know, uh, it's not the way I would ever want to market. I think it's really disingenuous and I think it's pretty evil in a lot of ways, but got to give him credit for, for marketing well, strictly from a financial side. But yeah, I, I hope we see less and less of that. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty harmful and, and he clearly doesn't care about the people that are, uh, you know, purchasing his information. Um, he's not doing it for the right reasons. It's a self-serving endeavor. Um, so 
Right. Yeah. It does kind of seem like it's that point. I've heard that feedback too. It's like, yeah, it's kind of, you know, if you're, if you're minus, you know, three or four or 500, 600, like, yeah, you're going to get the picks are going to win a lot. Right. That's just the math of it. But to your point, when it doesn't, you lose a lot. And, you know, he seems to does be a master marketer. He does, he has a good, you know, he's got social media and has like a, he puts on a good show regardless of what actual, the results are, you know, it comes across as, um, you know, he had, he has a plan. He has a marketing uh, deal, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm always rooting for people to be successful. I think one of the worst things you see in the gambling world broadly and just in a lot of things in life is like, you know, the more successful people get, the more other people try to tear them down. And so I see that a ton with other people. And yeah, not no one's perfect. We all make mistakes. But for the most part, I'm always going to give people the benefit of the doubt. And like, I'm always excited. I genuinely try to be excited, uh, especially like you should always root for your friends, even if you're doing poorly, like rooting for your friends, like that'll always be the right thing to do. And that's how you build great relationships. And, and that's, you know, that's what we live for. Ultimately, we live for our friends, our family, our loved ones. Um, so I'm always root for your friends, always root for other people to have success. Sometimes, like, on this extreme end, uh, no doubt that Bayes Dave's been successful, but I think he's really hurting the people that uh, are buying his information. And, uh, yeah, it's easy. Like, oh, here, take my picks. I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs money line and all these things. Like, you know, they're minus 400, minus 500. Of course, they're, those bets are going to win way more often than they're going to lose. But that doesn't mean they're plus EV at all. It's just you're, you're taking these bets that, you know, you're paying a bunch of money to win a little. And then when you lose, you lose a lot and you lose over time. Right. Makes makes perfect sense. Uh, I, I want to understand the fantasy labs because I, I was playing on it uh, a bit. And I again, I'm not an expert in fantasy. I was telling you before the show I hit with a buddy of mine. We we had a, a pretty nice score. We were 3K. We won 80K a few weeks back. We don't bet a lot like it's fun. You know, we, we, we're not experts. We're not using uh, statistics, really. I'm not. I would like to get more into that. Brandon Adams, I'm sure. I don't know how well you know Brandon, but I know Brandon is super well, super yeah. well. We, we do golf trips together and Brandon and I have spent a ton of time in person together and he's a good friend. That's awesome. Yeah. I had lunch with him a few weeks ago and he's a, he's a buddy of mine as well. Super, super interesting guy. Really sharp. I know he knows his fantasy well. And you know, I, I want to try to mix in a bit of a uh, bit more, a bit more, uh, I don't know the right word, but a little more calculation than just feeling and, 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 and having fun, but you know, it's, it's all right. Being a field player is less pressure. And I, we did hit some good scores. I just wanted to kind of ask about fantasy labs and, and how that, uh, I, I just had it up here and now I don't maybe, Oh, it's here. Okay. Fantasy lab. So yeah. Can you tell me a bit how this came to fruition? You're you're and who else was Mark Cuban. He was an investor or he was involved. You're one of the co-founders. Tell me a bit about this and how this came about. Yeah. So I, like I mentioned before, I always wanted to be on the business side of the fantasy industry. I briefly worked for an operator. Then I was a brand ambassador for DraftKings, which was really fun. Uh, it's good to see how immersed DraftKings was in the poker community, which uh, John Aguirre had a lot to do with, but I always wanted to start my own businesses. I've done that since I was a little kid with lemonade stands and you know flipping Pokemon cards, whatever. I've always been entrepreneurial. And Jonathan Bales and I uh, always wanted to do something. He's uh, probably the the most well known uh, author in the fantasy sports space. Wrote a bunch of books. Um, he's been really successful in DFS as well. And uh, yeah, we wanted to start a company that was different. We wanted to to do something that wasn't just hey, here's our write-ups for the day and here's who we think you should play for the day. We wanted to build a site that uh, basically was a foundation for people to build models, back test them, and leverage data to, to make better decisions. So that was the genesis of Fantasy Labs. And uh, yeah, we got Mark Cuban involved in 2015, actually during uh, kind of the, the hardship of the industry. It was a total rocket ship in 2015. And in September of 2015, 
DraftKings and FanDuel both spent more money individually than like Coke and Geico. And I'm sure you remember 2015, like every commercial was DraftKings or FanDuel. And that, that got a lot of attention. And of course, you know, everyone has the same thing. Like, how is this not sports betting or gambling? And then they had the whole issue where a DraftKings employee won a bunch of money on FanDuel, which I know that whole backstory. It really wasn't a, like it was the industry grew so fast that like um, initially, like early days, all the employees were playing on other sites just to like grow the industry and like try to learn. You wanted people who were like avid daily fantasy players, like working at these companies to like grow the game. Um, but of course, over time, the industry grows so fast. And then, you know, the perception was that these guys were cheating. I, I, I know a lot of the story. They were not cheating, but the perception was that, oh, it's insider trading. These guys at DraftKings want all this money on FanDuel. And that got the attention of, you know, New York State and basically shut down DFS in New York and created all these issues for the industry. Uh, so I actually reached out to Mark and said, hey, we have this growing business. Fantasy Labs was like, whatever, nine months old at the time. We had a ton of subscribers. Uh, we had all these talented people working for us. We were massively cash flow positive. It was a great business. And we were worried because of the macro environment. Like, what do we do? So I just reached out to him for advice. And fortunately, Mark said, hey, let me invest. Uh, that'll be a good thing for your company. People will be comfortable continuing to work there with my backing. And not only did he invest, but he then became like one of the you know main figures in advocating for DFS, which was amazing. Mark is just such a talented person and uh, really kind of helped save the daily fantasy industry. So yeah, we, we, we built fantasy lives from there. Um, it's, you know, you can build back test models. There's a variety of things that you can do. One of the cool things that you would actually like right now, uh, if you go to golf and then you go to contest dashboard, there, there you go. All right. So you can actually see like the exposures for these different tournaments. So you can, you can go to compare uh, exposures. You can see, you can see who all the players in the contest actually pick. So you could go through and say, okay, I think this is one of the best DFS players in the world. Who did he play in all these different tournaments? You can check it by tournaments itself. Um, and I know this is like, you're, you know, you're just getting used to the platform, but uh, this is one of the cool things that we do. So we, we have every single DFS contest ever that's been played on DraftKings and we have almost all the data ever on FanDuel. Uh, so you can actually go back and see all these different contests and see what people played. And you can also back test certain models and philosophies and then compare how that would have done using old historical tournament information. So it's a really data-driven approach. Our whole goal uh, was basically to be, uh, you know, and you see on this one in particular, you could, uh, if you sort away from that at the top there in the middle, this is for the 7K Millionaire Maker that's really small. If you, if you uh, open up like a bigger tournament, yeah, you could do the, the $20 Millionaire Maker. That one's so This is for this week or no? When is for it? This week. Yeah, this is for this week. I don't know if you played this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you can see all the different users and who they played. Um, and so you could click on rosters at the top and you'll see like the people who played over 150. Uh, scroll a little down. Yeah, that one. The, the rosters, be, I think if you click on that, it'll sort by like how many rosters people have, like the total. Yeah. So you can see the people who put in 150 entrants uh, for this. And you can see the players that they picked and their exposure. And uh, yeah, you could start you know, seeing how people did. And the other thing too, in like these big contests is like how many duplicates. So if you click, yeah. So there's your teams. So this is, what is this minus 3000? That's like currently. Well, that, because the tournament hasn't ended. So you invested $3,000. Mm. So a lot of times people will look and look back at this. So once the contest pays out, you can see how much people actually won or lost. 
Um, so if you won the million, obviously you'd be at 997,000 plus whatever other scores. But you can see your leverage versus the field. So right now it looks like this like this account, the most leveraged position for you is Lonto Griffin, then Sun JM and Scotty Scheffler. Because you can see your ownership exposure of your 150 lineups and then the field. So if you're a really grinding DFS, one of the best things you can do is, is study other top players. And you can see exactly who they're playing, uh, how they did in certain tournaments, what they're doing in certain spots. And uh, that's been, you know, a huge part of that, how that's really that's really cool. Can you see? All right. This actually man, I have like five other questions have come up. Well, first of all, before I forget, sponsored DFS player. How many people are sponsored DFS players and what did that look like? Is it similar to poker? The, what you understand where you get like some buy ins? Do they give you rake back? Do they give you salary? Can you give me not specifics, but how does this kind of work? Happy to give specifics, um, and they were, they were, we were very transparent about it, but basically the thought was just like, you know, the, the poker pros. There's actually only like four or five of us. Um, the program worked, and from my view, for like me and a couple guys specifically, but it never scaled out um, just because there was, you know, the, you know, people always are like, oh, do they get some other information? And, of course, people are skeptical. But, right. yeah, we didn't get any entry fees or anything like that on DraftKings, but my, my personal compensation was cash, affiliate deal and then i got equity in the company um and so the equity in the company was the was the look like it looked like a zero for stretches of time and, and now draft is worth 28 million so it's uh it's been a fun ride um but yeah we did a bunch of content so we did like live shows we actually did events of like in foxborough at the patriot stadium um adam levitan was a huge part of it um so adam levitan Myself and Al Zeidenfeld started the podcast called the DFS Edge. At one point uh, in 2015, when DraftKings was all the rave, it was the number one podcast in sports. Um, and yeah, that was a, a huge podcast. That was great. And so basically, we were just doing everything we could to, to promote uh, the industry. And it was awesome for me. Uh, I got to go to a lot of poker events. Uh, that's actually how I met Mark Cuban. Um, DraftKings and I split a buy-in into the... Uh, so I did get... The one piece of compensation was uh, a buy-in into this Tiger Woods charity poker tournament. And so the first year, the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me is I drew the seat next to Tiger Woods and Mark Cuban. And that's how Mark and I became friends. No way. Really? Yeah. And that poker tournament literally has been like my luckiest moment ever. I didn't win that year, but I won a couple years ago and I got to play golf with Tiger Woods uh, in a pro-am. So I played golf with Tiger Woods uh, last year for the Genesis because I won his charity poker tournament, which by the way, it's an 11 K buy-in all the money goes to charity and it's like the fastest structure ever. So like, I think I was a chip leader at the final table and I had like nine big blinds. So it's just pure luck. Like how it ends up playing out. It is, but there's still a lot of skill on those stack sizes and whatnot, but you people are folding. People are folding like they, they're like they have like three big blinds and they're just, you know, they're just yeah, like yeah. trying to. So you can take advantage. You know, it is a it's it's definitely if you have like some understanding of game theory and what you're supposed to do in those spots, you can capitalize. You also can kind of tell who is going for it and who's folding. And like, you you know, you get a lot of information, in those charity events, like it, it, people show what they're want, what they're trying to do and what they're, you know, what their motivations are. And you can kind of, you know, like, like you said, a guy's got two blinds and he's folding in the big blind when he's like, you know, whatever. For sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little bit of skill, but like, yeah, just super fortunate. That event's been like amazing. And, and, you know, I was wearing a DraftKings patch. So that was basically what the deal looked like was to go around promoting DraftKings. I signed up a lot of people, was just trying to tell my story. I genuinely was passionate about it. Um, I gave away a ton of information. You know, when we started Fantasy Labs, people were like, oh, you're hurting your edge, which is true. I mean, 
uh, before launching Fantasy Labs, like 2014 was my best year. 2014, 2015 were my best years playing. Um, and of course, the market's going to get more efficient over time. And, you know, just like the, some of the top poker players giving out info or, um, yeah, but I always took, my view has always been, I'm much more interested in the business side. And um, yeah, it was, it was really fun being like one of the top players for, you know, three or four years. Um, and I still, you know, I've been fortunate to have some really good years past, you know, 2016. Um, but the market's gotten more efficient and I had certainly helped contribute to that. But to me, it was a, a trade-off that I thought helped grow the game. And also uh, I'm much more interested in like the business side of things long-term. So uh, short-term negative, but long-term, I think it was the, the right move. Um, very, yeah, very interesting. I, I got to say there, there's just, it's such a fascinating world DFS to me. And I, I just want to understand what, what, what do you think is the most difficult sport in, in daily fantasy in terms of like, if you're just casual, you coming in, you want to start messing around on fantasy labs or wherever you want to start learning a bit or doing research, you know, say you understand, I guess it's kind of hard to say, right. Do you know, players, do you know anything about it or not? But like, what would you just say is the most difficult to beat from like, if you're starting at a neutral spot? Whew, that's been changing over time. Uh, so the best sport initially, if you were competent, and like let's say you were a poker player or something coming in early days, the easiest way to make money was probably NBA. And that's probably the hardest sport now. Um, that's because there's the least amount of variance in NBA. So like, you know, in golf, or let's say baseball. Baseball is an event sport. Like you could, the, the best match of the day could be a guy and he could go over four with four strikeouts or he could hit two home runs. And like, obviously if you, keep making the right decisions over time, it'll play out in your favor, but there's a ton of short-term variance. Whereas an NBA, like LeBron James's range of outcomes is very narrow. Um, you know, like there's obviously really good outcomes and there's bad outcomes, but it's, you know, these guys are gonna, their, their range of outcomes is much more narrow given how the NBA works. So initially like just figuring out, okay, here's the guys who are out, here's their backups that are gonna play 30 minutes tonight. Like a lot of the field wasn't doing that. So you just had a good sense of like minutes and all those things you would just print. And now everyone knows that there's all these sites like fantasy labs that are doing projections that are updating things in real time. And uh, if you don't know what you're doing and you're not really grinding and like basically putting in optimal teams or really thinking about game theory in the right way, you're going to get spanked. Like you're just, you know, if I played someone in NBA DFS that was just off the street that I haven't played like, NBA DFS before and didn't have access to a fantasy labs or another training site, I'd beat them like 95% of the time. Whereas in baseball, that might only be 60 some percent of the time in golf. It's probably like 55, 45 is there if the person spending all the salary. So um, I would think it's either NBA or, or baseball, even though there's short-term variants, like the person off the street could definitely win early, but like all the number of guys, all the modeling people, uh, are really good at baseball and like the same guys crush baseball every year. So it's one of those two sports. I think I actually think golf is probably the best DFS product. And I think that's where the casual fan has like the best chance. Um, and I love the golf product. Obviously certain people are going to have an edge versus others, but um, the, I think the golf product's really good. They do a good job pricing and like, it's pretty easy to make a team like, and you're like in the NBA, if you're not knowing who's in and out and all that stuff, like you're going to make some massive mistakes. It's hard to make like totally, there, there's mistakes you can make, but like it's hard to really screw up in golf. Yeah. I, I just looking here too. Cause this was, this was uh, it's like from a few weeks ago, I was telling you, I hit, we, we took first and one out of so sick. five. Yeah. It was fun. It was a first. How like, fun was it watching the like last like nine holes of that tournament? 
Like it, was every time. it was unbelievable. I just didn't, I, you know, the thing that bothered me was the final. I told you we got, I had Fina and Homa, you know, this is my, again, my, my friend who really was the one picked all the lineups. I actually had one decision to make. It was like out of four guys. He told me just choose one. I didn't know any different. I picked uh, uh man, I'm going to, I forget his name, but for, I, I mean, Naismith, I think it was. And I ended up picking him. He contributed and it worked out well, but again, I don't really know what I'm doing, but the one that was sick was, uh, this one was 50k to first, and yeah. we had the 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 guy. So we had 526, but we had both guys first place points. So Look because, that team. yeah, so the rest of that team. That's a sick team. Yeah, in the head to head, you know what happened was so like again. I don't really know how to compute. It could have maybe been worse, but I think we would have won if it had finished the other way because he had Homa. And we had Homa, right? But then yeah, you guys had Finau and he didn't. So yeah, you wanted Finau to win, right? Because they both have first place points, which is huge. So you can see, like, finishing position is part of the points. Obviously, birdies, pars, all those things are a big part of the scoring. But because both players are in first, they both had first place points. So it's actually bad when you have both the guys on your team when it goes into a playoff. The finishing points is kind of kind of goofy. Um, but yeah, uh, if Finau wins, uh, you guys win that one. Yeah, I think that's what would have happened. But then again, I was like worried. I don't know who's behind you and who has Finau. Exactly. Exactly. Plays out. I guess that's the way to look at it too, because maybe someone had whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the best. It was just like such a cool, cool sweat. And and I want to ask you about the, you know, there's a hen and mob, there's pocket fives, right? For poker and ranking yeah. and stuff. I believe I have a note that you've won over 20 million worth of scores in DFS. Maybe it's more, I don't know. You probably know your, you know, your numbers, but is there a site that does show you like a, like a ranking leaderboard kind of deal? Like what's the, well, there's roto grinders, but it, it's strictly based on volume and it doesn't take into cash games. So like lifetime, I have like well over a hundred million dollars in like winnings, but that's right. just like, if you play 100K a night, like, you know, some nights you win 200K or whatever, and some nights you win zero. And the, the Roto-Grinders rankings is strictly gross winnings in tournaments. So uh, there's never been, like, a P&L site that's been out there, and that's actually against the terms of service from, like, DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, I've seen, you know, people have scraped the data and, and tried to figure out the P&L players. And, you know, if you're immersed in the space, uh, you certainly know, like, who's winning, who's losing. But... Yeah, uh, there's not really a great place to, like, see who the, the best players are. But it's obvious, like, if you're playing a lot, and, like, you can see on a lot of these sites, including that fancy that dashboard or Roto Grinders, or um, there's a couple other sites out there that will show, like, here's what happened in tournaments, like, so you can see that. And all the, all the data is public. So uh, it's interesting. It's sort of like poker, too, because they don't show, you know, like the hen and mob. It doesn't. It's like kind of funny with the high roller circuit and scene. And you see like guys like 30 million, 20 million earnings or four million for the year. But they might have six million in buy in. So it's kind of like good and bad. But if they did do it, it might I, I guess it could cause problems, too, for a bunch of reasons. And it's kind of better. Like I, I had a higher rate, like, uh, you know, one of my, my worst year, uh, I played a boatload of volume. So I was probably ranked higher on Roto Grinders than the year before where I made a bunch of money just because I played more volume or whatever. So like it's, it, yeah, they can be very deceiving. And, and there are tons of guys that fire huge volume that obviously lose. And then, uh, you know, for the most part, the guys who are really blasting are, you know, the top players, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mix. And like, yeah, just seeing gross winnings, as you know, it's just like, oh, here's this guy's tournament winnings. It doesn't tell the full story. and The cash games aren't tracked as, as closely. So a lot of the initially cash games were extremely lucrative, and that's where I made the majority of my income was more on like the heads ups and, and, and double ups and three mans. But 
uh, yeah, those aren't tracked nearly as closely as, as the tournaments. And, and what do you think about sites where you can sell action? You know, Brandon Adams. So again, full disclosure, state Kings site that I'm invested in Brandon Adams. Also, we have some, you know, we're involved. We're part of the site. We do some stuff. The Brandon Adams post and his stuff snap sells out. I actually put up action on state Kings and I said full, I was just like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a semi fish. I've won a bit. I got probably lucky and I put up a little bit of sweat. People love it. Like that's as a Twitch streamer, putting up action is really cool. Would you ever do that? Have you done that? What do you think about selling action to your fans? You know, people that are like, like you, you're never going to like break down and talk someone on Twitter and it's too much work. Right. But what do you think about partitioning or selling some of your action so your fans could sweat? Have you ever considered that? Would you do that? I love State Kings. I think Tyler's genius. I love that you guys are involved. I actually was thinking about doing it when it first came out, but uh, I was still a brand ambassador for DraftKings, and they weren't as excited about uh, me doing that. Uh, it's something I, I would definitely consider. I know some people have like been pretty predatory with charging like ridiculous rates, um, but I, I think the real value and what's cool is that people love the camaraderie, and I love. Uh, personally, I, I think like the community and like sweating together and like getting alignment with people that you really respect uh, is, a, is a great thing. Um, so yeah, the economics of it, I, I think, um, you know, I'd like to see it just be really efficient and, and, you know, obviously not everyone can, can justify their market, but, um, markets over time will fill that out. And I think it's a genius concept in terms of just like being aligned and yeah, with DFS specifically too, like. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to do the two hours, three hours of work or more, like, especially if you're playing NBA, like you need to be playing every day. Like there's a lot of edges of just like kind of following. It's not just, Oh, I can sign up today and have it all figured out. Uh, so from a time perspective, I totally get like, Hey, I want to sweat tonight. Uh, I want to, you know, be aligned with this guy that I think is a really good player. Uh, so I love the business and, uh, yeah, over time, I think my only, issue with like the whole ecosystem is the the people coming in just charging like outrageous markups and like preying on some of the people but over time that'll sort itself out yeah i i yeah it's a little tricky there was actually for a while we did the auction style but then it got so crazy because you know it's like sort of predatory where people don't really understand or how it works and especially if you break it down and you're like selling say five dollars worth of a thousand dollar package people are bidding ridiculous numbers and it just didn't really make sense because it wasn't uh, it didn't make sense so i you know i think there should be some some governing and and, and guidelines and understanding there but it is kind of fun to it's a unique challenge though too right because there's obviously more demand for the top players but like yeah some people might not understand it so yeah, i get it and, and i i think it's a genius business and uh i think it's really cool and just broadly i think we'll see a ton more of that stuff like uh i think everyone's become an investor now i think this pandemic a lot of people had time at home, obviously stock trading skyrocketed and uh, all these people are investing in different things. And I think one thing that's really cool is like investing together in something. Like I'm, I, today I bought uh, the max shares on Rally Road of like that signed Kobe piece of the floor from his last game. Like and I invested with a bunch of my friends and like we're all now aligned on the investment. And it's really fun. But um, I think people in general like to invest as a community. And uh, that's one really cool thing about State Kings. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it is fun to sweat with your boys, whether it's fantasy or anything. And you- yeah, and I would I would gladly like you tell me something. Hey, Peter, this is like neutral EV. Like you're not winning or losing. Do you want to blast off with your friends? I would sign up for that like all day long. 
Like I'm, I'm just like, I got the call any button checked uh, on that spot. Yes. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. Uh, let's look over this article here and, and maybe talk a little bit about your career. I don't know how to like, like you said, the hen and mob or find scroll through, but I do know, uh, tell me a little bit about David Kaplan first, this head chopper. He's one of the, is he one of the leading or he does a ton of content or, or is this a friend? Yeah, of dude, he's one of the best dudes in the whole world. And he was honestly the top player when I first got in the space, like 2011 chop was like a total legend. And it's been so fun to watch his career. Because, you know, he went from like the top dog and then the market got more efficient and he wasn't the top dog anymore, but was still having success. And, you know, he's had some big scores up until whatever, the last two, three years. And dude, this guy's won a million dollars now, I think three times. Uh, and also had the worst beat ever, that I, or one of the worst beats ever in DFS. I don't know if you remember the U.S. Open when Dustin Johnson three-putted uh, from like 15 feet. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like a slider versus Jordan Spieth. And all he needed was Dustin Johnson to make birdie or better on the last hole. And the sweat was insane. He hits a perfect drive. Then he hits like literally the best shot you can hit. It's a par five. So like Dustin's like a favorite to make a birdie. And uh, perfect drive. Then it's an unbelievable approach shot. Like literally just perfect to 15 feet. First place is a million. Second place, I believe, is 100K. So it's literally a 900K drop. And all he needs is a birdie. And Dustin, like, I think he was down at the time, he was down a stroke to speed. So if he makes birdie, he's tied to his speed. And even if he loses, gets second place, that birdie was enough points to, like, put his lineup in, in first or whatever. And, yeah, he three-putted from 15 feet, including missing, like, a two-footer. So imagine, like, the sweat of that, like, watching him hit the perfect shot off the tee. You're like, okay, now I'm a huge favorite. Then watching him put it to 15 feet, you're like, I'm 98% for him to now – you know, make me one a million bucks. And then he three pots uh, for a 900 case. It's so, that's so crazy. And and what about deal making? Cause this is something also I, this article touches on and I do again, few points in this article that were interesting to me. Uh, and, and I want to, I want to talk about, but uh, tell me about like this, uh, this concept of the deal make, because in, in, in poker, this happens, you know, you can pause it in fantasy. It's pretty quick. Usually I know sometimes at live finals, right. People will go and they're there. And so maybe there's some agreement before, or even like you're able to talk and do something, but what's your experience with deal making in DFS and, and have you done it and, and how does it work? Yeah. So of course, yeah. Um, swapping, um, before events is, is, is very prevalent. Um, you know, I think the sites don't necessarily want that to happen, but it, it, it's, it happens all the time just because you, know, you get some big spots. I mean, some of these live finals, like the equity of one entry is like a hundred K, you know, a lot of people get there and, you know, maybe they have like a 200 K bankroll and they have a hundred K seat, like, it's pretty ridiculous to just like gamble a hundred K or 300 K total bankroll on like one event. So the way they can hedge that out is, is by swapping or selling equity. Right. Uh, I haven't really seen many things like happen, like in the actual event itself. Um, I, I haven't done that personally where like, I'm like, Oh, there's the guy who's in second and I'm in third or whatever. Like let's swap for, for now. I have never done that. I'm sure it's happened, but uh, yeah, I personally have not done that. Um, but yeah, tons of, uh, selling and different things, uh, for these events. And a lot of times, yeah, people sell too, and you can get into that markup game and whatever else, uh, for these live finals, but it makes sense because they're just such big spots. I mean, they're literally just massive, massive, massive spots sometimes for people. I mean, for anybody, I mean, they're, those are the, those big events and yeah, just given the nature of how big, the, the seat values are and, and people will come in with like, you know, six or seven seats to these things. So they have a, a huge chunk of equity and it's a ton of areas because a lot of these uh, tournaments have really top heavy price uh, structures. So it's like 
okay, it's accumulating at first, but then if you get like 40th place, you're getting, you know, 50 K or whatever. So there's a big drop off and that incentivizes uh, swapping just because there's so much variance. Yeah. Yeah. What, tell me a little about the payout structures too. Cause like I'm looking this week and they had, you know, they don't do the $20 million that much. I maxed with my friend, we, you know, we put in the, the most teams and, you know, it's like 150,000 entries. You can put 150. So still pretty long shot to win. And you start doing the math. How, how big of a advantage is it? Do you think to, to max enter those or versus at some point, does it make sense to not? I mean, I guess the math, the, the, it's so top heavy. It must make sense to max enter if you can, right? Is that tip for those or no? Do you do that when you come in, when you play those? Yeah. I mean, if you're plus EV, it makes sense. Uh, and obviously each entry in theory, right? Like one entry is worth like your best entry from a game theory and, and projection standpoint is better than your next one and on the way down. But uh, I do think that it makes sense still. And uh, yeah, they're just really top heavy. So the one thing um, we can, I can show you again later on down the road, but like you can see when you have duplicate lineups, uh, on that dashboard. And that's the worst thing that you can do in this tournament. I think it's a $2 million prize pool with a million to first or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I can see like, so like it's like first or bust from like an EV standpoint, basically. So the worst case scenario is you're sharing a lineup with a bunch of people. Um, so you really need to give yourself a lot of clean looks at just getting first place by itself. So that's, uh, that's, that's something that I think, Oh, so it's not totally two minutes, two and a half million, but still 40% to first. So like you want to make sure you have a really good chance to get first. Um, yeah, and you'll yeah, see yeah. people end up having like a lot. There's a lot of duplicates out there. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. Pretty crazy. Uh, this and, and tell me about the payouts. What do you think on that? A million dollars is for marketing, or why do they? Why not make it more you know, bell curved and, and like uh, different payouts? Like why is one million to one hundred? It's pretty intense. Dude, it's so intense. And yeah, all the pros have been talking about that forever, almost for the majority. Some of the pros who are game theory specialists, tournament specialists, like having the top of the structure because you have to play a different way. Um, but a lot of the pros advocate for a more even distribution because they don't want the crazy variance. Uh, you know, if they're plus EV, they want to just grind it out, build their bankroll. But from a marketing standpoint, that's really what blew DraftKings up, to be honest. I mean, once they started doing a million to first, um, people just ate that up and, and there's a lot of data on this and DraftKings in particular is very data driven in terms of how they um, basically price and do all their contests. They know what's worked and they, they, have, they very early on they had a team devoted to like sizing and, and, and kind of deciding payouts for their tournaments and the data overwhelmingly supports the really top heavy structure. And we've seen that specifically, like the contests that have blown up the most aren't just the millionaire, millionaire makers, but like the $3 contest that was $200,000 in prizes, $100,000 the first. So like people just love that lottery payout. I mean, that's that's why people play the lottery. That's why people do a lot of these things. They People love to swing for the fences. And uh, obviously that's, you know, it requires a different strategy. And, you know, for someone like me, I'm much more of a grinder. It's, it's, it's not ideal, but... That's the way they do things. Um, and I've had that same conversation. I've always been the one advocating for like a more even payout structure, but for whatever reason, or not for whatever reason, but because people play the top of the ones more, they continue to do those uh, type of contests. For sure. Have you, have you heard of the uh, prize picks by any chance? Are you familiar of course. with course. Yeah. I, I, so I invested in this one and I, I love, I like the over under and the parlay stuff, but where would you like rank this compare comparing to uh, like the other DFS and, and, and do you, 
is it for something like pros or is it more for amateurs? Like what's your, what's your understanding of like this, this model and, and how this, and this site works? Have you ever played on it? Do you ever dabble with any of these or not? The betting isn't so big. I think the cap, right. On what you can wager. Yeah. So I've messed around. I haven't actually played much volume, but first of all, kudos to you for investing in this uh, similar sites. Monkey knife fight recently sold for 90 million. Uh, there's some really good fundraising going on, on on companies that are similar. And I've heard great things about prize picks and the team and, uh, it's a really cool concept. I, I think long-term, uh, now that we have legalized betting in certain states, I think we're going to continue to see more hybrid games that are crosses between fantasy and traditional betting. And they capitalize on something. People want that lottery parlay type payout and PriceFix does a great job of that. So I'm very bullish on hybrid games. Uh, it's something that I'm trying to do more of. I'm an investor in Underdog, which is a, a similar platform that, that started off doing best ball, but is also has other games. Uh, Cuban's involved in that one as well. And yeah, prize picks. Uh, I think that's a, a great investment. And uh, I think those platforms are cool. And I think we'll see a lot of innovation uh, in different game types. So it's a good news situation, though. Like that monkey knife fight sale in particular is great news for any uh, prize pick shareholders. Yeah, I, and it's interesting because the daily, uh, fantasy draft, which I was one of the ambassadors early on, I know, you know, uh, Robert really well. I don't know if you're how familiar you are with yeah. fantasy draft and they, they tried an interesting model with the sort of MLM format, which, uh, you know, didn't really seem to catch on. I don't know. Did you ever, did you ever do any of that or were you ever? Yeah, like, I played a ton of fantasy draft. I mean, they tried everything. They tried rake free hire contest. They did the MLM. They did the yeah. subscription model at the end. Yeah. Um, a lot of really good ideas. Uh, the issue for fantasy draft and what DraftKings really understood and what enabled DraftKings to catch FanDuel is it's just strictly a liquidity game, basically. So it's a really counterintuitive model. Uh, I'm really good friends with like Taylor KB and Andrew Wiggins. Andrew and I, Andrew lives here in Colorado now. We ski bunch and, you know, draft day failed, even with like those guys building a great product and obviously having all the poker experience. And uh, I think they had a really good product and everything right, but they basically didn't invest like they didn't they didn't go all in on like raising capital and burning the capital to inflate the ecosystem i mean DraftKings is still losing a bunch of money today they're valued at 28 billion dollars and they're i think they lost like 300 million dollars last year or something i mean i don't know don't quote me on any of this i don't know the, not financial advice i don't know the exact numbers but their playbook from day one has been raise venture money put that money into the ecosystem grow the ecosystem do the same thing. So they were just literally pouring gasoline on the fire, losing a lot of money to grow the ecosystem. And I think in reality, that was the right long-term play because now they have all these people, they have the infrastructure and I think they can become, they could be a profitable company right now if they want it to be. Everyone else that was kind of fighting against that was at a disadvantage. And a lot of people thought DraftKings guys were suicide bombers. And in reality, they were just, they took a really long-term view. And I think, uh, you've seen this in poker. You've seen this in any like peer-to-peer ecosystem. Like liquidity is king. Like people are going to play where there's more liquidity. There's tons of poker sites, DFS sites that have had lower rake, and they just don't get the traction relative to the places where all the people are playing. So, yeah, Fantasy Draft I think did a lot of really smart stuff, and they did build up a you know a decent ecosystem, but they were always overshadowed by FanDuel and DraftKings and even Yahoo, which you know Yahoo has a, an ecosystem. They've never been able to get to like DraftKings or FanDuel uh, for those same reasons, in my opinion. And I mean, actually, so Fantasy Draft did end up selling to Monkey Knife Fight, I think, yeah. and then they sold right after. So, so good, hopefully a good outcome for everybody. 
Yeah, I think so. And and do you do you have any idea on on that was Monkey Knight fight? They sold to who specifically, or what? Do you know any, do you know what the deal kind of was with that? I saw Monkey Knight fight sold for forty million dollars. Uh, I think they sold to Bally's. Is that right? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, it was some site. Yeah, some Vegas. Um, yeah, Bally's Corporation acquires Monkey Knight fight, um, and I believe it was for ninety million. Um, and it's because of the user base. Um, and I could be again. Uh, don't quote me on these exact numbers. This is just what I what I remember reading. But yeah, they sold the Bally's, and we just saw Super Drafts sold the Caesars. Brandon Adams just sold his site. So there's a really interesting thing going on right now where these operators for for betting companies are trying to figure out ways to get customers in the states that aren't legal yet. And that's why I think you know Prize Picks positioned so well, Underdog. Uh, a lot of these companies have users that are clearly willing to invest money, bet money uh, in these different formats, but don't have legal states yet. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a super interesting uh, space. Well, let me I keep thinking of it's actually really there's so many things that I, I am interested in and I keep thinking of new things or yeah, one thing I keep kind of forgetting. So I just want to keep asking uh, before it comes up and I, and I forget again. So this article talks about some of your scores and, and this is you won a million dollars. How many times this was? I know you, this article touches that you did win a million dollars and this was in baseball. I believe it was on this hit right here by Torin or. Uh, I actually hit a home run in extra innings that, that basically secured it for me. So I had a Red Sox stack, dude. It was freaking nuts. Uh, I did look like I was in position to win initially, and then the Red Sox kind of scored some runs towards the end, and then they forced extra innings. And I was the only one with, like, all these Red Sox guys really in a position to win, and they scored, like, eight runs or something. Like, I don't remember exactly how many, but a ton of runs in, like, the 14th inning. Uh, but it was capped by Mike Napoli home run. Uh, yeah yeah so that was a big score my from just changing my life perspective uh that was right there but i won a the first six-figure score actually on FanDuel in 2012 and that was right after i quit my job as a stockbroker so that was like hey you can do this full time that was honestly like the biggest like um score from like propelling me into pursuing dfs full time but the the million dollar win was at the right place right time and um, yeah, I've been fortunate to have a lot of big scores. I haven't had like a single million dollar win. I've had a couple million dollar days, but not uh, one million in one contest outside of that. Wow, cool, cool feeling. That seven figure club and and daily. What are your What are your parents and and friend like kind of family friends? What do they think about this? And what when you said, hey, I'm uh, you know I'm working at Charles Schwab or I'm stockbroker proud family this and that and then okay i'm going to play games and, and daily fancy which is like new right it's not even like poker which you can kind of form your opinions and things have sort of changed it's got like cd kind of negative connotations in, in some respect sports betting as well it's good to see it's legal at a federal level and it looks like it's coming back full force and you know again anything responsibly it's i think you can find a lot of benefits out of it right like learning stuff data analytics dealing with wins losses like there's so many positives in general i think in poker and again in, in sports and, and betting being responsible, it's good to have fun. It's good for some action. You you, you got to set your own limits. But what did they think when you when you basically said, "Hey, I'm doing this full time"? How did that go? Oh, I think this is a super fun conversation, and and actually gets into a lot of things I'm really passionate about now. Uh, very fortunate to have supportive parents. Um, you know, my dad in particular saw the success I had in poker. He was a little nervous about that, like when I was playing a ton of poker in high school, in college, but saw the success I had. Uh, we bought a house together. Like my dad and I bought a house uh, in college, like went out to my buddies. So like he knew I was like really into numbers and, and, and was taking, you know, I kind of explained like, here's poker. It's just a more inefficient market. I'm still taking 
a data-driven approach, and this is why I can win long-term. Um, so he, he backed me, and then uh, obviously, you know, that moment where we got stood up and, like, poker was just in a bad spot, um, you know, he, he was support, not even supportive, but just like, yeah, Peter, it's probably a good idea to, like, pursue something else in the short term. Um, so getting the, you know, the job at Charles Schwab was really helpful. And then, uh, yeah, when I, when I said, Hey, I really am thinking about quitting my job and pursuing this full time. Uh, you know, I gave the reason that this is the right time to take a risk. It's what I ultimately want to do. I don't have anyone I'm supporting other than myself. I have money saved up. So like they were really supportive and they, they encouraged me to do it. Honestly. Um, I did get a lot of skepticism from like, you know, friends, parents, and other people like, oh, you're just gambling. Like there's such a negative connotation with it initially, but I feel like that's gone away to a degree. And uh, one thing I want to do long-term in life is, is kind of help revamp the education system. And I think all these games are like the best learning experience you can have. I mean, I tell people uh, I got a finance degree, but I studied poker in college and poker taught me way more uh, than, you know, the classes in finance did. And even into investing this today, like, we talked about some of the risk reward and handling ups and downs. Like those are really important things. Like if I didn't have the poker background, um, I don't think I would have had the same uh, kind of emotional, uh, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to handle my emotions the same way I do now. And that's been amazing. Like I've been able to hold some assets that have had a ton of volatility and like, you know, not sweat the ups and downs. Whereas like my friends who've had a more traditional route, like, you know, they're the fastest ever to sell riskier assets. Um, and I think the games are so great. Like I learned so much from poker. I learned so much from DFS, like learning how to be a professional or bet with an edge. Like you have to be really disciplined. You have to take a data-driven approach. Like, yeah, you have to be patient. You can't force things like all those lessons I've learned from games. And I think in general, human beings learn from games way better than they do from kind of traditional schooling. And I, I think, you know, financial literacy courses, budgeting, all those things should be a big part of education in middle school, high school. And I think games should be integrated to the uh, education system too, because personally, that's where I learned the most. I know a lot of friends who've uh, learned a lot more from games as well. Yeah, it's well said and, and uh, really aligned there. Agree too. My, my, my dad and my mom, you know, Ivy League background, I, I went the other direction. I went and played soccer in college and uh, SEC school and, and poker became quickly my, my passion. And, you know, they were luckily also very supportive, but it was kind of one of those things where, you know, it's not, it's not family's first choice generally. Like it's just, it's of course. lucky and you have supportive parents and they trust you and they know that you're going to do the right things and, and you're, you know, it, it can help. But it, I know a lot of people that don't, it hasn't been like that where they had to lie or, you know, not really say what they were doing or even got a lot of backlash when they did. Uh, and that, and that obviously is, is more difficult to, uh, to, to, to penetrate and go further. And the, well, one of, uh, real quick, cause you're in a similar story. I didn't know that about you, but uh, one of my business partners is a really good friend of Brandon Adams. I don't know if you've heard about these tennis prop bets that they've done, but uh, mm-hmm. one of my good friends was an all American at Notre Dame. Got to like fourth or fifth in the country in tennis Played professionally for a stretch of time, but it was a huge grind. And, and, and in tennis, you actually don't make any money unless you're like top 50 in the world. So he was like losing money as like a top two, 300 player in the world. Uh, and he was playing poker. And I think his parents were not excited about him going the poker route, given he, you know, he played tennis his whole life in New York, went to Notre Dame, like did all this stuff. And like, yeah. it's not an easy transition to make, but like that same competitive spirit and like that type of mentality, like, it paid huge dividends for him. Now he's super successful. And like, yeah, I think you would credit poker as much as like tennis, and all those, and even tennis. Like I love sports. I think you learn so much from sports. Like I, 
not at your guys' level playing college sports, but, um, you know, play basketball, baseball, tennis in high school, yeah. still play basketball every day. Like, I learned more from sports than I did in the traditional education system, too. It, it's so much. It's not. It's just like it's it's more about, I think, too, just like the camaraderie, the teamwork, the learning, the winning. Same thing, winning, losing. You yeah. know, how do you handle other people's success when you have a bad game, when they have a, you know, how do you, it's just, it's like golf. You golf with someone, you play poker with someone, you learn kind of pretty quickly well, how, they, how they handle themselves. Yeah. You see more about someone's character on the golf course than like anywhere in the world. You get to see them in adversity. You get to see how they handle success. How ethical are they? Are they like, you, you learn so much about someone on the golf course. Yeah, that's what, exactly. And I think, it, it may, I think honestly, poker table might be the same or, or even mm-hmm. more the same. It's like in that same kind of category, same thing, same sort of closed space, you get to see see it all, so uh, I, I I really do agree with that. And I mean, and to speak about about soccer though, I didn't like, and and it's kind of one of those things too, where I, it was I didn't play in college really. Like I just didn't get along with my coach. It was a Bible Belt kind of place. All of a sudden, I'm the poker guy. We just never really hit it off. Like I was captain growing up, most of my teams, and really good relationship with my coach. And then there, it just like I don't know, just didn't work. Didn't really get the, but it was it was great. I was playing poker. I didn't really have to worry about getting in the game. You know, I was up late playing playing cards and, and go to practice, keep in shape and didn't really get to play much at all. So, uh, but whatever, again, it's a, it's a, it's, it's great sports. You've been pretty successful, man. So it worked out. And, but yeah, and that happens to a lot of people in athletics, right? Like, right. yeah, it was, it was, it was clear. That was the the ceiling for me. I was like, it was just like, all right, really quickly. I realized that I wasn't going to be playing professionally and that was fine. I was fine with it. And, and uh, poker became the passion. So uh, I, I gotta, I gotta ask though, this, this live finals, what is this like? How many live finals you've been to? Was it was it at the live final where you won the million on this? Yeah, so it's in the Bahamas. And um, I think I qualified for every live final from 2012 through 2017, oh, wow. with the exception of the last uh, NFL final. My big learning lesson, and uh, to show the variance in this, obviously those first years were like much more uh, inefficient, and there was so many fun times, including parties at the Playboy Mansion, which Star Street set up. FanDuel ended up acquiring that that deal. So like, I went to probably 10 events at the Playboy Mansion, including my bachelor party, which was freaking one of the best times ever. Uh, there are events at, you know, in Vegas before it was illegal to play DFS in Nevada. Uh, so there's events like The Win and Aria and all sorts of cool things. There's great events in California. Uh, DraftKings did events for a while in Bahamas. Um, gosh, what's the famous? Atlantis or... Atlantis. That's where I won. It's amazing. I can't recall that. But yeah, that event was at Atlantis. So there's all these really fun experiences. And that was part of the growth of DFS is like, hey, qualify for these big events. You can win a million bucks in like the coolest setting. Um, So it was a ton of fun, uh, you know, doing those events. Met a ton of people. was great for just kind of, you know, building awareness in the space. Um, Also for Fantasy Labs, it was great brand building, uh, you know, qualifying and competing in those events. Uh, but a good story and just like a lesson about variance and like ego, uh, right after I sold fantasy labs to the churning group to form the action network, uh, that was in September, 2017, there's some really big events for, for DraftKings, And I actually lost over half a million dollars trying to get into the NFL live final for DraftKings. over 500 K in buy-ins and did not get in. And that was chasing like a 75 K seed in equity. And that just shows the variance because it's first or last in these qualifiers and uh, I never got first. And so you have to win your way into these finals, which is a lot of variance. And then there's a ton of variance in the final. And uh, I actually, I haven't played qualifiers since that year. Um, And that was during the crazy crypto run up and 
I just sold my company and I wasn't tracking my numbers as closely until the end of the year. I actually didn't know how much I lost in those those qualifiers until I ran all my data at the end of the year. And I was like, wow, this is something I should really be cognizant of. And um, I thought the opportunity cost of like going after those kind of changed um, relative to prior years where I thought it was really good for my brand. It was really fun to play all these events and like go to these things. Um, you know, going forward, I was like, I'm going to cut these out because not only are you playing this really high variance format, which isn't suited to my play style, you're also paying for these like extravagant parties. Like the rate was high, plus your the cost of the parties was baked into the, the live final seats. So right. yeah. they're still really fun. A lot of people go to them. I haven't tried to do it in, since 2017, but that was a uh, expensive but really valuable lesson. It's uh, really interesting. And, and what is your, what is, how does your weekly look now? Or, I mean, I guess there's different, it's hard to say that because there's different sports and seasons, but how are you, what volume are you playing now for, for a yearly basis then like versus say 20, you know, in the peak when you were playing the most volume, are you still playing a relatively high volume or are you doing much less now? So it's changed this, this year specifically, um, 2020, I played probably similar volume, um, probably like top 25 to 50 volume in the whole space, uh, played a bunch in NFL, had a good NFL season, but a lot of golf, uh, which is my favorite DFS sport now, uh, you know, from 2012, 2013 through 2017, I actually had anxiety if I ever missed like any sport, any slate. Like I was playing everything, NHL, NFL, NBA, PGA, uh, how I played esports during the pandemic uh, DFS, which I didn't know anything about esports, but, you know, found some information, thought I might have an edge, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I used to really, really grind like every single slate, every single sport. 2020, it shifted a little bit. Um, you know, I've, I've always been interested in business and, and there's been a lot of opportunities. I've done a lot of angel investments and, and different things. And 2020, it started to shift where it's like, okay, maybe DFS doesn't need to be like my main source of income, like my main focus, but I still played a lot and I played a lot in the NFL. To start 2021, it's the least DFS I've ever played. Um, I still love playing golf. I'm not grinding the NBA because of the commitment. Um, I think you need to play every day to be competitive. Uh, I think the market's more efficient. So I'm not playing NBA right now. I still plan to play pretty aggressively this uh, NFL season, but yeah, it'll be NFL and golf. And I'm really focused on, on all these businesses. And uh, yeah, from a just monetary standpoint, like investing and building things is much more lucrative now too. So, and also new kid, you know, if you're in the space, if you're invested in certain things, like it's been a really good stretch of time. So uh, not trying to get, it's not, um, I always want to grind work hard. It's not that, you know, the success is like, uh, diminishing the work ethic. I'm still, I'm busier than ever work-wise, but uh, I think the, oper- you know, I basically think there's better opportunities to, than grinding uh, NBA DFS. Um, I don't play hockey anymore, any of those things. So just golf for now, and, and I'll probably uh, fire pretty hard in the NFL season. Are you in golf? Right? Where did you play this week or no? I actually did not play this week because the baby, I will be back on next week. Uh, I was firing super hard for, I've been firing really hard in golf for a, a long stretch of time. Uh, but I did not, I just bet this week, golf betting is actually one of the, the, the highest volume things that I do just in terms of dollars invested. So did the betting, but, uh, did not have time to do a good job with the golf. And candidly, I'm also trying to improve my, my gameplay 2019. I think I was one of the biggest winners in golf 2020. We started off really hot and then lost quite a bit during the COVID swing. And it's been a slow start to 2021. So I think I'm, I think I've done a really good job of identifying, I think our, like raw projections are very good, but I'm doing a bad job with game theory. So 
uh, have have started some work to try to get better at, at game theory within DFS golf, and I uh, want to make sure I'm doing a good job. And this week in particular, uh, had more responsibility with the baby the last couple of days, so. I almost just blasted off like uh, I was gonna just think in my head. I searched you and I didn't see it, but again, I don't really know if I'm doing things right. Like, no, I'm not in this week. That's what I was saying. Like, because like you know, me and my friend, I know how we do it, and we just like it takes doesn't take that long, and we ultimately put our guys. So like that shows really big discipline that you're not just gonna like flick in the 150 entries, and you know, I'm sure you would be. And also, the, the other thing to be totally truthful, like if I just played 150 entries in the Millionaire Maker and we did well. I would be pretty tilted. I'm down well into the six figures already in 2021 in DFS golf. So like, I want to, yeah, part of it is like, if I'm going to play, I want to make sure, I, I want to feel like I'm doing right. the right things again. And like, you know, most of the tournaments this year, I mean, I'm, I normally have like six figures invested. So um, that was the other part of it. Like I had, you know, some projections and everything and like felt pretty good about the process in terms of raw projections, but again, don't feel great about game theory right now. So if I would have just played small and then won, like there's a little emotional element to that too. And also I've just been losing. So I, I clearly need to, uh, you know, really, uh, I need to dial into this. And there's also a lot of variance. Like 2019 hit, hit a ton of big scores, did well in the majors. I mean, uh, we actually, had, I had a decent masters last year, but um, I, what I'm noticing is a lot of the plays that where I used to get like some leverage on are now like a lot of the chalkier options. So I almost like need to figure out, okay, everyone's gotten better at figuring out who the best raw plays are. Now I got to figure out like the next tier down where I can get some leverage versus the field. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, and let me ask you about studying and, and group work. Cause you know, I, I would pay a lot to be a fly on the wall with your, your stuff, but it's a little different than poker. Cause in poker, there's like different situations, players. It's it, this is like, you're putting your lineup in. So do you have a group or like, how, how do you discuss and, and, and strategize uh, or, you know, I talked to Brandon a bit and he was like, you know, I can, you can send me a lineups or send me something. I'll take a look, but it's kind of hard, right? Cause you're competing in a way you're not yeah. like, Oh, here's my lineups. And then you talk to your friends and then, you know, you want, you like compare, or like look at stuff or how do you do that to like help each other, but not pick off each other in a way your competitors at, at the. Yeah. So I've been fortunate to have like some data share with, with some really sharp guys throughout in the industry. And that is a really big challenge. And, one of the most classic comments you'll see is like, oh, those people are colluding together and they're working together. And it's so funny, like some of the highest stakes guys right now, they actually have, you know, entered like the same lineup in like these five Ks and everyone's like, oh, they're cheating. And it's like, you realize that if they have the same lineup, it's actually much like, maybe they're so good that they can overcome the having the duplicate to still be plus EV. But like, if it's 50K to first out of 100K and there's two people with the exact same lineup, like that's only one lineup you have to get ahead of to like, get a chance at first place. So um, it's really funny how like the whole market reacts to that. Like obviously the sharp people realize like it's good when you're competing against people that are using the same lineup. Um, but yeah, data share is prevalent. Um, there's all these different communities and, and sites where people are using a similar process. And uh, honestly, everyone's gotten so much better. Like it's crazy how much more efficient DFS is now versus, you know, a couple of years ago and way different than like people had no clue in like 2012, 13, 14, 15. It was night and day difference in terms of uh, where the market is now. Um, but yeah, I talked with a, a couple of people and, um, you know, I've worked with people on models and obviously we have uh, fantasy labs, which contributed a lot of IP to, and um, it's a process. And, and absolutely there is that interesting little conflict. And I shouldn't say little, but there's a conflict of like, 
talking to your friends if you're competing and like, yeah, Brandon's a perfect example. Like we've talked at the live finals, like, oh, what do you think about this guy? And like, you know, you're competing against them, but they're also your friends. So uh, it's way different than poker, way, way, way different than poker. And also too, I think one challenge with the industry that has evolved is that, you know, the top guys can sit every single table. Like you're never going to find Galfon in like a 50 cent $1 game, right? Because, uh, you know, there's only so many tables that he can play. But in DFS, especially early on, like I can sit every game from a dollar down to the 10 case. Now they've made it so that you can't play $5 and under if you have X amount of winnings and they've limited how many games you can play at each stake. So they've made adjustments to kind of uh, limit how much like the top players can get in. But it's so much easier to scale in DFS than it is in poker. Yeah, it's, uh, it makes a sense. Do you think that having a background, if you're a newcomer uh, in poker, is it an advantage for DFS in any way? Huge. Massive. I mean, that's why I think that was the foundation for why I had success. Bankroll management, game selection, uh, thinking about things in an analytical way. Like, I saw a question on Twitter, like, people didn't even know to look at the lines. I think I had a big advantage looking at, like, Pinnacle and, and Chris, like, early on, and, like, making that into how I was doing projections. I mean... Uh, I just had very basic spreadsheets when I first started off. And like a lot of it was derived from looking at sharp markets and like, yeah, just being in the poker community, you knew that. And like, I'm telling you the biggest mistake I've seen a ton of DFS players make and some poker players, but uh, it's much more prevalent of like the guys who are strictly DFS players is they'll win a big, they'll hit a big score. And then they'll be like, Oh, I'm just going to battle and become, you know, I'm going to be the top dog. I'm going to play the other best player for a bunch of money. And it's like, you're clearly not winning a rake and it's all ego driven and i feel like a lot of times poker players are like aware like hey i'm not going to go freaking heads up for rolls versus the other top pro i'm going to try to find softer games and like dfs i've seen so many people go bust uh that have had big bank rolls and just you know basically taking their ego and try to you know dethrone whoever the top guys at the time and they, they go bust Right. And, and there's got to be a lot of, it's similar with, in the same respect of heads up, right? Galfon, we mentioned you're betting on him a bit on some matches and heads up play. You saw Negroni Polk and, you know, it's different format. So same thing where someone is a heads up in a, in a match versus a, the, the millionaire versus a hundred person field size. These are all very different strategies because you got to, the lineups are different, right? You're not just going to go chalk in a heads up match versus a millionaire maker or whatever. So, how how big of a how big is that? Would you say in, the, in understanding that difference and, and that a lot of people don't really think like that? Is that is that it's a big massive? And, and it explains kind of my trajectory and, and why I've done things. So I I've, I think my strength has been identifying like the top projected lineups. I think I've, I've done a great job throughout playing DFS of having really solid projections. I've always had an optimizer, um, so I've done a great job of basically here's the top lineup for the slate that I'm playing. Um, and obviously that's evolved. So like heads up, that's still the, the game. It's like, what's the top lineup for the day? You play that versus other people. And, you know, initially like the lineups are wildly different. Now if you're playing heads up in these cash games, like everyone has like basically the same teams. The market's gotten really efficient. So that strategy and like making money that way has gotten much, much harder than it used to be. And that's my strength. And I actually used to play those lineups in tournaments. And it used to be wildly plus EV because it was not only my top lineup, which I thought was better than other people's top lineups. People weren't playing those guys. So I was getting good ownership and good leverage versus the field. And I was crushing. It was just, it was like the easiest money ever. And over time, everyone kind of figured out who the best plays were. The projections got very similar. 
So then it became more about game theory. And that's where I think I haven't done the best job. I think I've done a decent job in certain spots. I think I do a much better job on game theory and NFL versus like some other sports. But um, yeah, like that's what I was just talking about in golf. I think, I think we were, I was way ahead of the curve broadly in, in golf projections. And now there's been a big convergence in terms of uh, uh, kind of who the top plays are. Like the guys I like most every week are almost always like the most heavily owned guys. So now it's about adjusting uh, with game theory. And like that millionaire maker, you know, Rom and Rory or whoever else might be clearly a better play than X player. And, um, but if you get the one guy at 3% and the other one's 30%, like probably better off playing the 3% guy. So figuring that stuff out is really, really, really important. And uh, that's where I'm trying to get better. And um, just looking at my results, I mean, that's where I, I know I need to improve. Is there, on Fantasy Labs, is there a site or what's the best way to sort of look at someone's results? And you said, so like after this finishes, like this is our, my hundred. Yeah. yeah. So you can see like your ownership. So like Lonto Griffin, you have at 30% and he's only 4% owned. So like, that's a really good play. Like, you know, that you're getting great ownership, but you can see the, the inverse. Like if you click that leverage column, I guess you'll see like, and I guess some of this stuff is bad, but like the worst, your worst play just from an ownership standpoint is probably Tony Fino, right? 24% of the field took him. You have 24% too. Like you're not gaining any advantage there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and like, yeah, Tony Fino is clearly a good play at that price. Uh, just from like a projection standpoint, like 9,100 versus projection, like he's going to stand out. And that's where my model would say, okay, Tony Fino is who you should play. But if he's 24% owned, is he a good play? Because now a quarter of the field has him. And like, you're not gaining that much if he does really well. And if he does badly, all the people who don't have him are jumping up. So that's where I'm like, if you look at like the guys who have like the top exposure, you can sort by exposure right there. Okay. So you can just see the highest, the, the, the scroll down to the right. Yeah. The exposure just up a little bit in that. So, okay. So like answers the most high, these are the highest owned golfers this week. Right. So these are all guys that would like pop in my model as like the top plays to play this week based on just their projection and their salary. But everyone else has figured that out. So who out of these guys are you not going to play? Like, how are you going to figure out which, which is bad chalk, which is good chalk? And that's, that's mm. where DRS is really gone. And um, yeah, it's just, a, it's a bigger challenge. The, the edges are smaller and it's much more of a game theory exercise versus, uh, you know, projection exercise that it used to be. And is there a way to, is there a way though on here to, so you said like on this site, can I see like the week where I won, for example, did well? I mean, you, you, the Genesis is what you did well. And I think that was like early February. Is that right? Or middle of February? So, yeah. Genesis open in 2021. So you, you click the date. So that was uh, February, um, started February 18th. So if you, if you go to that page and you click February 18th, so just, yeah, you can even click the calendar. You type that in. That should work. Yep. So then you can go to that tournament, right? Okay. So I would put in, right. Okay. So then you would search the. Whatever tournament you did well in. I think this one, maybe we won. Uh, you might not have been in any of these tournaments. So we're based on, I saw you do well in like that, that. So yeah, that, that one you had the four unique. Try that $15. Maybe you did well in that $15. Maybe it was a week before. No, this is, I'm, I'm positive. This is right. Check, check the $15. Cause you won like the tour, like you won like a $200 thing i think maybe not maybe it was a different week because yeah, it's saying uh or no i don't know yeah i thought we i thought we won the five 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 
Um, he, won, uh, he won like the $200. So that's the one downside is like on that, uh, on that page, you won like, uh, maybe it's like the last three days. You won the, uh, the driver. But you had a good score in the signature hole. That completed the 18. Maybe you changed the date on that. Maybe it was, uh, let's see. Was it the week before? Yeah, try, try like uh, 215 or something like that on there. Let's see here. Great advertisement for fancy labs. Fires and hard dates are screwed up. <laughs> no, I think I think this is a, I think this is a week before. Maybe is it two eleven or two? No, that should be right. Hold on here. Let me. I'll I'll do the same thing. But yeah, you can go through and actually see all all the different um, data there. Let me just pull up. I hope that there's not some bug in the system here. So it ended the like, sorry, whatever, like whatever it is, it's cool. Like how it works. I mean, yeah, you can already see that it's valuable. I, oh, just go farther, go farther, go far. Try click on like the 21st. Let's see here. Yeah, I think this is, this is right. Am I on the right day? 221. And what's your username one more time? Kid who won. What is going on here? it's not it's honestly it's not a big deal i i the, the thing i want to understand is how how to like what you were just saying about the data is super interesting how to like review it and and see you know like to use the to use that information and that it's it's sort of that that's like what i it seems hard to win if you're not doing some sort of analysis and, and work right like obviously you're getting you kind of, um yeah i'm looking at the leaderboard for this i'm wondering why Cause I'm looking at, cause you, if you pull up your screen again, you did, you got, you had a big score in the signature hole, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's weird. Let me see here one more time. Cute. Yeah. Well, that's, well, it's honestly, it's, I, I see. Oh, it's not a good look that this is broken if it's the case. Um, and candidly too, I'm, I'm not as active in the, in the day to day now, but this should be, this should be right. Um, yeah. It's all good. Like my, my friend who I mentioned is like, he's really good at golf. Like he understands and he's just in it and knows what's happening. And then, you know, I think like if you mix like a good feel with this type of analysis and data, it's just like, you're just going to do really well. Cause like, obviously it's good to understand the players kind of understand what's going on. You know, like my, my friend is just like a, a nut. Like he knows who plays well in what courses he's really immersed in it, but you got to have, I think as well, the, the piece of this data, right. And then you got to do some, some of that stuff. Like, obviously, you know, it's, it's been cool to do well without it, but like he, we did use like a lineup plug. I told you on Roto grinders, you know, plug yeah. in setting the lineups, but this, this stuff is super interesting to me. And I think it's actually what makes it so fun is if you're actually really researching and diving in and, and making some, you know, seeing what the other good players are doing and see how close you are to them, to them. And it's fun. So um, oh, dude, it's by far the most fun. And I legitimately think this is broken because I'm looking at the, uh, can you pull up that contest just real quick? And then we'll, we don't, we yeah. don't have to I love that golf is your main thing. I thought it was baseball, but that's cool. So I'm going to, you know, listen, I, I want, uh, don't worry. I might be blowing up your phone, man. I'm going to say, Hey, what do you think of this lineup? You're going to be like, this guy's annoying. I mean, no, I, I love it. I love it, bro. It is uh, fun. It's so fun to me. I love it. It really is so much fun. And, uh, yeah, you just, you, um, the most fun thing with DFS for me specifically is golf. And that same scenario you were in at the Genesis where like every shot matters. Like you're not only rooting for your guys, but then the guys you're like basically anyone who's in contention, that's not on your team, you're rooting against them. Like, 
Yes, exactly. They're sweating so, like, every said, single that, time. That, that drop, which I was just, I still would love, like I told Brandon, it was funny because I had lunch with him the next day and I had never had any like significant fantasy score. And so I was talking and showing to him, but I don't know how I could, I, it would have been nice to know in real time. We couldn't figure out what we were sweating. Like it was like, we yeah. didn't know. And then it was weird because I, I was trying to look at teams around, but when you play in these mass, this was a 1.3 entry field, right? So like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Like something goes one way and it could just like, move you down to so I was just like man I want it to end I'm happy with the 110k score but then it did drop and I just hard to believe what you got one two that it could really mess up that much but uh either way whatever it was um it, it's it just because you had those two guys that were tied for first so that's the only time or the thing to watch when you're sweating golf for your team is when your guys are in the same place or they're tied for a score. Like, obviously, people can tie for second and you can still get, like, the points or whatever. But tied for first can't happen at the end of the tournament. So, right. yeah. the biggest thing to, like, watch. And, like, dude, it can be – you can have wild swings. Like, I've seen where, you know, there's a three-man playoff or, like, four guys are tied for first going into the last thing and you have two or three of them and then one person leaps them and then all your guys drop. So – yeah. The, the finishing scores can be uh, can be bad, but yeah, no, it's cool. I'll uh, I mean, it may be fun to get in like a little um, chat somewhere with maybe Brandon and you, and just sort of bounce off some stuff with my my friend. And uh, are you, are you, do you like to play golf yourself? I do. I'm not very very. I've been taking lessons. Like I'm okay. I can get I can get out and play now. I used to be really really bad. Actually, Hank Haney. Uh, I don't know if how well you know him. He told me I, I mean, had to, I love Hank Haney, of course. I, my friend was doing a, a show with him and I got to be around and he, we, 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 we had a good time and he would, he told me I had the worst golf stance he's ever seen his entire life. That was that's what he told me. So I came, I came, I've come a long way from there. You know, I've, I, I can now, uh, I can play a bit, but I'm, I'm always trying to get better. I love games and it's a great game. So yeah, I can play. Dude, we got, we got a, we got to set up, we do a golf trip every year with Brandon and some buddies. It'd be uh, really fun to, to get a crew. And I have a bunch of friends uh, at Southern Highlands in Vegas, which is, uh, Aguirre has actually just moved there, but like Ben Lamb and Shane Sixby yeah. and that whole yeah. crew's out there. And it'd be fun to get a, a good good group of guys together. And the fun thing about golf is like, as long as you have an idea of how good you are or how bad you are or whatever, like yeah. you, can always, you can always set up a game. And I'm a 10 handicap and, and Brandon's baffled with us. And Brandon is like super high variance with his golf game. So it's, 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 it's fun. Southern to, Highlands is, that's a nice place. I actually lived there one summer, rented a house with, some friends in Vegas before I bought a place yeah. in Vegas and it's uh it's cool. So there's a shadow Creek. There's some other cool. Shadow Creek is amazing. That's where Tigers events always are. Yep. That's uh we'll, we'll definitely, definitely have to do that. We'll listen, we'll play with this later and look at it. But anyway, you see how it's, it's, it's I, I just sent an email. It's clearly broken. Okay. So we'll get, we'll get only, after it. I haven't seen it be broken. I've, I've uh, sampled this before too. And I don't know what specifically is going on, but it, it will get fixed. And uh, Ryan Patsko, who, uh, Actually, it was a company we acquired. He built that, and um, I just sent him a note. So, poor, poor cool. for Fantasy Labs there. I appreciate you doing it, but it, it'll be fixed soon. Nice. No worries. And what about Action Network? Because this is something that I have seen. I got the app. I, I didn't realize you know, until recently you were involved with it, but uh, it's, it seems like really good content, and they, they put up some nice stuff. And it's uh, what is this, and how does this play with Fantasy Labs, and, and what's the deal here? What's your involvement in that? Yeah, so uh, Fantasy Labs was one of the companies that was uh, under the Action Network umbrella when, when we sold the company to the Churning Group. The Churning Group owns like Barstool and a whole bunch of other media outlets. Um, you know, Peter Churning is a wildly successful person in, in Hollywood, and uh, they've done a ton of really smart strategic investments, including like Headspace, and 
obviously Barstool has been a grand slam. That's a, uh, they bought 51% of the company at a $12 million valuation. And uh, they sold to Penn or deal at like 400 some million. And obviously uh, Penn and, and, and Barstool have just skyrocketed since then. So Turner Group, awesome guys. They've, they've crushed it. Uh, they put together the Action Network because they were bullish on the legalization of sports betting. Uh, is the Action App Fantasy Labs and then a company called Sports Insights, uh, which is basically like a Don Best screen um, to, to compare prices like high-end sports betting tools. And uh, yeah, the app is incredible. Uh, shout out to Brian Mead, who is uh, the founder of the Action App and who's the head of product there. Um, and yeah, it's it's basically just media, tools, content, all these things for sports bettors. Uh, I think the app is incredible. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun to watch the journey um, you know, I was involved heavily with the, the media side. We had a show at the PGA Tour. Uh, I'm no longer doing that, but that still goes on. It's called the Gimme. Um, and yeah, there's you know, if you're interested in sports betting, they they're covering it from all angles. It's a uh, it's a big company now. I think close to 100 people. And uh, yeah, uh, Patrick Keene's the CEO. He's uh, been on the board of a variety of companies. He's been very successful, uh, and they just have a really good team there. So. Uh, still an advocate for, for Action Network, even though it's not my day-to-day anymore. But uh, yeah, in particular, I think the app is like the best place to sweat uh, sports. Uh, the same Brian Mead, who I, I shouted out just a second ago, who built the Action app, he uh, actually built the Yahoo Sportacular app too, which is where one of the main guys from Churning Group, Mike Kearns, he came from Yahoo. So I used the Yahoo Sportacular app forever and then switched over to Action and it was a uh, really cool to to partner with them. And I think the action app is is a a really, really useful uh, tool. I see see Darren Ravel mentioned, he's involved or he's always pushing it. So what is he like, what's his involvement there? Yeah, so he was brought on, brought in maybe two years ago. And uh, yeah, I know Darren's polarizing. Um, You know, I had a a polarizing view on him initially, but uh, after working with him, um, he's so passionate about what he does. And I've gotten really into like the NFT and, and collectible space and, uh, that's where he's truly super passionate and obviously he's done all the business reporting and um, yeah, he's got a big audience and uh, there's a lot of people from ESPN at the Action Network and uh, because of that, uh, it was a natural fit for Darren and um, yeah, Darren is, uh, you know, again, polarizing guy, but uh, I have the utmost respect for him and, and how hard he hustles. He is he is grinding around the clock and uh uh, kudos to him for for being early on sports reporting, and I know uh, social media and all that stuff has different approaches. Big one, but he's clearly been successful in growing his following. Yeah, I mean him and Gary V. Gary V. is Mr. NFT. I, I, I Gary V. is a guy that has got he's just everywhere on every platform, and he's got a full team, and he seems really really bullish on NFTs. And uh, I, I was talking with a few of my close friends recently about NFTs, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. I love sports. I love Bitcoin, blockchain, that type of technology. So it's kind of a perfect thing, but it's still even the NBA top shot. I don't know if you've heard of OMI. Have you heard of this Vive, this this one as well? Which one? Uh, oh, it's, the app is called V-E-V-E, but it's uh, it's like the comics, and they they got Pokemon, I believe, the rights for NFT and also the NFLPA. So it's, uh, it, it's a, it's interesting one, but yeah, I've been pretty deep in that and Dapper labs. Obviously I bought some flow. That's the name of my show, poker flow show. I had to get some flow tokens. Yeah. Uh, I got a way to get it. It was a little complicated because you can't get it in the U S. Um, but, uh, anyway, like I'm very bullish on these as well. I think there's a lot of upside and I do think the NFT, you saw the people goes for 69 million. Gronkowski does his own NFT has to take off the logos. Um, you know, with the, how he did it, but then Steve Aoki also just had an NFT did really yeah. well partnering with art. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the crypto punks, all this stuff, like, will it 
will it be able to you know i think it's a little bit bitcoin doing so well of course is in ethereum that 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 helps but um it's kind of interesting to see where it's going to go and i think there still is a lot of upside people seem to not know where to spend their money these days as well and it's like the next it just makes sense generation z and what what people want to do and and it's just uh, exciting time so uh, i did want to talk a little more about the nft stuff but is there any any advice or how would you how would you describe nfts to those watching that maybe heard of it non-fungible tokens what is it why do you like it why do you think it's going to be successful if, if you do think that yeah, oh, I'm, I've, I'm extremely bullish on NFTs as a whole. Uh, we did just see this mania phase. I think we're on the very first inning overall on NFTs, but um, maybe to use the analogy, like we're in the eighth inning of like this first wave of mania and prices. Uh, if you're into crypto at all, I think it's very analogous to uh, kind of the altcoin boom in 2017. Uh, you know, a bunch of you know bad actors, bad projects, but some really innovative stuff. And like you look at the projects that survived from 2017 and seeing what they're doing now, uh, it's pretty incredible. And I think uh, you know, as crypto evolves as a whole, uh, we'll look back and kind of just see how much innovation was created out of uh, you know the tougher times, but also obviously people getting interested during the the bull markets. So we're definitely in the bull market right now. Who knows how long this specific wave will, will last, um, but. Yeah, I'm extremely bullish. I, I think the best part about it is it directly connects the artist with the consumer. Uh, you know, I've built a really good relationship with one of the top artists on Super Rare. Uh, I'll send you a link here. But yeah, if you go to Super Rare, uh, superrare.co slash MBSJQ, uh, it's awesome. Like, I think this guy's art is just absolutely incredible. Slash what? MBSQ? Exactly. In the, there you go. One sec. Um, yeah, slash M is in Mary, B is in boy, S is in Sam. Uh, I, got it. I, just, I just clicked it. Yeah. 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 So like, you click on his collection so you can see at the bottom there, view all his creations. Or actually, go back to uh, that's This is one, the only one he bought, but his creations at the bottom there, view all artworks created by, uh, by him. So that top one is actually like someone just bid like 136000 on that guy, which is really cool. Um, sick, dude. These are sick. So yeah, right, let me, let me, I mean, see some of this stuff. Like, so I this like a couple of my friends have like really gravitated towards this guy, um, and he's had a ton of success. And he has a baby girl, and his whole motivation is his daughter. And we've become really close. And you know, I own one of his pieces, and uh, it's freaking awesome, man. So that direct connection, I think, is great. We're seeing that in music as well. Uh, you know, we saw it with Kings of Leon, the Blau uh, NFT auction was really cool. So I love that, um, you know, it's basically cutting out the middleman for our artists and creators. And uh, yeah, you know, some of these projects are really interesting, like Top Shot. I think the punks uh, long term will hold a lot of value because they're the first NFT, um, the rookie card. And, and just the, the story is very compelling. Um, and yeah, there's going to be a bunch of crap, but, you know, especially in art, just buy what you love. And uh, yeah, I mean, like Beeple's work, I think is sick, um, you know. 69 million is, is a ton of money, but uh, wow, it's uh, it's cool to see the growth there. And um, yeah, I think a lot of trends are here to stay. And, and uh, it's just the, you know, kind of future that we're going through with uh, everything becoming digitized. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I do. I got one more question for you. And then I know you got to get going here pretty soon. So I do want to at least get a couple questions. In the meantime, I'm going to load up this giveaway, giving away $55 ticket today. So I'll get this loaded up. We'll let you pick that on your way out here and get it queued up. 
uh, and people can still get in and retweet, ask you a question. We'll, we'll take some of those. And while I'm loading up a few of these questions, tell me about winning the TGR Charity Poker Tournament uh, in July 2020. And in general, talk about tournaments being a positive thing with sports, the toughest opponents. You mentioned this a bit earlier. This was the Tiger Woods one. This is the one you actually won, or and this was just last year? I won the poker tournament in 2017. Uh, so the first place prize is playing golf with Tiger Woods. If you remember 2017, that was uh, kind of when Tiger was having some, uh, he had that DUI and just was clearly having some challenges. I actually won the year where his charity still put on the event, but Tiger wasn't there just because of his back and just everything going on. So it took some time to actually play golf with Tiger, given just his health and everything. But yeah, I was fortunate enough to play it. Actually, the tournament that you just won, Rib, that really cool course, uh, that's where I played with him. So uh, it was for the Pro-Am. And yeah, talk about, uh, you know, a nerving experience. You're playing golf now. You know how things can go well and bad. I think I shot a 39 on the front, which is like very, very, very good for me, especially considering the circumstances. And then I shot a million on the back, uh, including some really embarrassing shots. But uh it was a great time and Tiger's awesome. And uh, I'll be going to his charity event every year that, uh, that I can. And um, yeah, I've been like four, four or five times. Uh, only missed one year because I ruptured my Achilles. Uh, so I couldn't go out because I couldn't walk. But uh, yeah, Tiger's great when he gets a fast, speedy recovery. And uh, if you ever have a chance to be involved in that event, it's a couple of days of golf at Shadow Creek. Uh, there's a really cool charity auction. There's poker. Um, there's a party like that's, They've had really cool concerts. It's a really fun event. That's awesome. Well, I, I didn't know again. I know you got to go in about five minutes. So I just want to try to get a couple of these rapid out questions, guys. I appreciate you taking the time. And again, we're going to do this giveaway here. Uh, we got a question right at the bat from Marco, the man, the myth, ghost of M. And, the, and he's in the chat as always asking, how much DFS pros take sports betting lines into account when they're analyzing lineups? Tons. And it was so valuable early on. I thought it was one of the biggest edges that I had was uh, leveraging um, the, you know, really important data from the sports books, you know, that baseball big win I had, uh, the Red Sox team total had steamed on Pinnacle. So it's just like, oh, Red Sox, that's an interesting one. And like, uh, yeah, I, I, I leverage that information heavily. And, um, you know, I think those markets are pretty efficient and uh, there's a lot of good data from the, the betting markets. I mean, people, well, I was looking at player props initially, like, oh, Here's what they think for points, rebounds, and assists. So, like, um, those markets were really helpful in, in kind of uh, figuring out how to project players, and that was a big part of how we built Fantasy Labs as well. That's very cool. Uh, what sport is the most profitable from uh, Augustin Lacourt asking here? I guess, I mean, it depends, right, for who and what, but you were mentioning golf, you think maybe, or that's the most variance? I love golf. Um, that was before the most recent downswing, like one of my best ROI sports ever. I'd say NFL is probably the best sport for the average person. Uh, it's by far the biggest market with most unique. So if you're willing to grind uh, NFL, I think there's still quite a bit of edge out there. Um, and that's historically been probably the best sport for, for most people. And then, yeah, NBA used to be uh, an incredible sport if you were like really working hard. And I still think that that can be the case if you're like, hey, I want to be a DFS player full time. I've had some success. If you're willing to go all in on NBA, there's definitely still big edges there, but it's a big time commitment. Um, and the edges are smaller than they used to be. Very interesting. Favorite place you've been in the world that you've visited? Favorite place I've been in the world? Um, place I, really, I bought part of a, the New Zealand uh, Breakers uh, like four years back. I really wanted to go to New Zealand. That's where I want to go. 
I, my traveling experience is, is pretty marginal. I've been like basically everywhere in North America. I'd say my favorite place in the world is Kauai. Um, it's my favorite island of the Hawaiian Islands. You can pick somewhere in the Caribbean for me too, but uh, I need to I need to do some more international travel. I've just done all that, you know, I've been Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, um, been all over North America. I've been to every state but Alaska and the US, but uh, yeah, we actually had plans to go to Italy for my, wife and I's uh, um, honeymoon. And then I had the ruptured Achilles, so we couldn't do that. Uh, we had a trip planned in March to go back to Italy. Uh, that got canceled because of COVID. So I need some more international travel. I want to go to Japan. I want to go to New Zealand. Uh, what's your favorite place you've been? I, I think Istanbul or Melbourne, Australia. Those are those are two. Actually, Montreal is like an easy one that's close, or I mean, at least in North America. And that, I think, is one of the most special cities just a great place have you been there i haven't but i, I was i was tempted to, i was either going to say vancouver or Kauai is my favorite place that i've been yeah montreal is is special but that's also you know one also nice to be single if you were single which we're both we've we're, we're past that part of our lives that that would be probably the place i would live if i was uh if i were you know if i, if I were just like poke, playing online poker and, and 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 single but a lot of great restaurants great food great vibes sort of like the only North uh, European city in North America, at least in my opinion. So um, I, right, need take, I need to check it out. I need to check it out. Yeah, it's it's cool. Actually, they have a great poker event there. Once COVID gets back, you know, it'd be fun to go to playground poker. It's it's over the border, like over oh, it's Kanawaki, so it's like twenty minutes outside of Montreal. But I that was somewhere I was going like three to four times a year for since two thousand twelve till nineteen. So uh, I highly recommend highly recommend uh, there. So that's one to check out. Let's take. Let's take one more, and then I know we got to go. We got to actually. Let's just do the giveaway. And as I'm queuing up this giveaway, because I know you got to got to buzz out here pretty soon. The question is, what is the difference between the good DFS players and the great DFS players? Discipline, great. And now it's the best modeling and, and game theory. But uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of talented people, and 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 I, I mentioned how I thought ego really hurt some people um, that were really great players. Uh, some of the like like the top of the top players. Uh, ended up going bust because of ego. So, yeah, discipline, game selection, all those things. Um, and then, of course, you know, the best models are, are definitely winning now and, and if you're good at game theory. Okay, well, I just uh, messed this up. I know you do have to go. If I can zoom, go through this real quick, we are going to pick okay. this up. All right, we're going to do a $55 giveaway party poker ticket coming up here. And Mr uh csu ram 88 peter jennings is going to do this if this works it's usually it works so i think i must have clicked the wrong button before we're going to download these retweets so you got a, almost a two percent chance eligible and no tweets found so the site is not working and that is that is not fun and we're gonna do something else we'll do it this way then how about i'm just gonna i'm just gonna scroll and then yeah, I'll turn around, I'll turn around and you say when and when my mouse I'm just gonna, Stop. right here uh and it's in a it's in a different language, so that's a cool. I'm sure it's a great question. It looks like he's something about COVID and hoping to get a ticket, but he is gonna gonna get it. So my friend Tati from uh, somewhere foreign with a foreign language, looks Spanish, is gonna get this message. We're gonna message him the win. We're gonna thank you very much. This was a pleasure. I hope to have you on again in the future, and I hope to meet in person, maybe some golf, maybe some uh, DFS chats, and uh, yeah, man, I, I really do appreciate it. I learned a lot, and this was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, Jeff. I'm, uh, like I mentioned before, I've watched a lot of your content. You do a great job, and dude, we'd have a ton of fun playing golf, drinking beer, whatever. We're cut from the same cloth and uh, keep doing everything you're doing, and I'm going to hit you up on the golf chat. we got to start a, a group thread with Brandon Adams, and we'll, we'll find a time to be together soon. 
I, I would love to add two of my buddies in. And again, if they, you can kick them out anytime. If any one of us asks too much, cause they're going to be like kids in a candy store looking at, you know, like getting to pick the brains and whatever. So we'll try it out. And if you got to boot it or end the chat, I get it. We'll, we'll, uh, uh, we'll be all about it. I've always, been, you know, anyone who's passionate about this stuff uh, is, is a winner in my book and always happy to chat about this stuff. I love it. All right, man. Thanks again. I appreciate it very much. Thanks. Have a good one. All right, guys, that's Peter Jennings. Give him a follow on Twitter. That is CSURAM88. Uh, I have had three podcasts this week. I am absolutely, absolutely loving it. I love that we moved to Twitch. It's good to see you guys. Let me give a few shout-outs here before we close up the podcast. I see the Toothless Grinder. We had Pappy Van Winkle 23 in there, AdRock412, uh, Ghost of M, of course, as always. Agulac, thank you for the questions. My man, Horror. Horror Field, and he is in joining. Oh, I'm a 2015. There's a lot of you guys not going to shout everyone. Just want to say thank you for being here and appreciate you very much. T-Dubs224 in the house uh, and Burnsy23. Good to see you as well, guys. Thank you so much. I'll probably have two or three next week. Going to maybe play some poker on Sunday. We got DFS sweats. I know some people have action on DraftKings. Uh, sitting okay. Big day today on day two of the action. Of course, as I showed, hit some good scores. Uh, recently, but no means a pro. Going to try to use some data analytics along with a couple of my friends that are, you know, I think they're borderline geniuses uh, and just just natural ability. But you know, can't hurt to add some data in. And, and of course, it's competitive out there, but a lot of luck and variance involved. So again, thank you so much, guys. More poker streams with review coming. We'll do some more podcasts. I got a new YouTube video up on the Jeff Girls Poker site. We also have a uh, so, some pending tweets to to do and give away as well if you want to check that out on twitter so again thanks so much thanks for everyone being here we'll see you very very soon and i am uh going to real quick look at who is on streaming let me just see uh because we have yeah we'll send my man team turbo kings the raid and we'll see you guys very soon so uh appreciate you and all the best enjoy your weekend I forget it's a delay and I'm, I'm usually on a six minute delay. So Saudaji separation anxiety. Let me load that up. I'm going to ship him the raid. Uh, say what's up to Brian and we'll see you soon. Pappy, peace, man. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.